Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Everybody, I hope you're not too late for the show. I mean, we've already done three hours of it, but you know, most of you probably didn't know that. Some of you did, because you're very, uh, very uh, observational. Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, make it up. <laughs> oh, you're just so funny. Okay, I'll be quiet. Go ahead. Anyway, you know, my, my co-host. She's over there. She's on the skinny rink right now, you know. You know, we, we know that because, wait, I, I don't have the right theme song. Yeah, she's on the skinny rink right oh. now, you know, doing this back Yeah. Anyway, that's where we are. We are here to celebrate Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day, Groundhog Day. All in one, especially Christmas. It, it's Saturday night, December the 10th, year 2016. I'm Wong Hughes with my little heater that the adorable one gave me. It's time, even though it's 60 some odd degrees, I got the heater out. And here's the longest introduction to the adorable one, Patricia. Hi, Patricia. <laughs> Hello, Walden. Hi, everybody. We are back. 
and we were we sneaked in for a couple of hours this afternoon. So if you missed us, we'll do it all over again tonight. That's right. Maybe not. We'll, see, we'll get. Th- we're gonna go eat till live with Patricia till probably one o'clock. Then we have an interview that our Saturday night family haven't heard yet with Major John A. Hughes. We ran that on December seventh, and but I want the family to hear it. And I also think we should play some of the other material that goes with that. So we're, we're going to have call for Patricia for two, two and a half, maybe three hours. And she's got to get ready for for Girl Scouts tomorrow, you know. So we got to buy her brownie and and have her get, look up a book and things like that. What? Well, you better make out a to-do list for me and help me understand it. Oh, that's why okay, I'm and remind me. Oh, 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 tonight, yeah. um, when we finish up, I have an Eagle Scout question for you. Oh, right. For me, not, not you know, I'm. If you don't have a should that be on? Should that be on our question list? You don't have an Eagle Scout question for me. I have an Eagle Scout. I need information. Oh, okay. And you're my Eagle Scout <laughs> reference person. Yeah. That's one thing I have. Okay. Over, that's one thing I have over my uncle Jim. <laughs> there you go. He only made. He only made to a star. I beat him out. Uh, what I say? You know. All right. Yeah. You go for it. Patricia, Patricia, gonna talk to my uncle Jim this Thursday. Everybody at four o'clock. And it will be fascinating to see how this all mush, you know? Oh, great. What do you mean, oh, great? Is there something I should know ahead of time? <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting to see how it all works out, you know? If, if, will Uncle Jim be the the lively one in the party, or will he be the uh, the commanding fourth dog general? I'm anxious to see what kind of demeanor he's going to have. You know? You're supposed to tell me ahead of time. Well, I don't know until we talk to Uncle Jim. How am I going to be? I'll have to make out six sets of questions. <laughs> anyway. Which demeanor hat do you have on today, sir? <laughs> and, oh, interesting. Yes. What is the proper way for a civilian to address a retired general? I could call him Uncle Jim. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Unless... Unless he's willing to adopt me into the family, <laughs> in which case I could get away with that. I think it's re- oh, serious. I, I, um, it's, you know, if male comes as you know, general, because you you see, you're not really a, you know, the different level of general. It's really a true general for a star. Uh, you know, the, everything else is you know, brigadier mm-hmm. general, major general, all those, mm-hmm. and I think he is refers retired for. Retired General, Retired Fourth Dog General. Actually, what we could do is look up his Wikipedia page. It would say on his Wikipedia page. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, um, yeah, well, uh, I will gather goodies from there as well. Yeah. But as a general rule, when you are addressing a retired officer, mm-hmm. what is the, per, the, the correct way? Do you say general, uh, you know, yes. and, yeah. and use his last name, or do you say sir, yeah. or wait for him Tell you what he prefers, or no, what? It's, it's General Davis. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, and because he's still, 
he's still on the back of the car. If he can be put back in the service any time they they call mm-hmm. to decide. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. I some I I a couple of weeks ago. I tried to find information about the proper way to address military officers. Mm-hmm. And I, I specified, you know, active duty and retired in my search. And a whole bunch of different answers came up, and they were all personal. You know, I'm, I don't want personal, I want official. You know, when, when you address the president, you say Mr. President, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I could not find anything that I could hang my head on. So... There you go. He's sort of a rare breed. There's, there's not that many four-star journals. It's a very, very, no. <laughs> very select group. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's really small. Okay, yeah. so he he is rarer than an Eagle Scout, but yes. you got Eagle Scout and he didn't. That's right. Two percent. Okay, well, two, we got that settled. Yeah, 2% of the U.S. We can, we can introduce him. Hmm? 2% of the U.S. population is Eagle Scout, so... So the you know fourth day general is a little more rare rare it's a rarer boat than that. So. <laughs> I would think so. I would think so. When you say two percent of the population, are you saying two percent of the Boy Scouts or the entire population of three hundred and forty million people? Yeah, two percent of the Boy Scouts. Oh, okay. Boy. Oh, you're so special. We are. Aren't, aren't you glad to have? Um, an eagle? Oh, well, I knew that. Aren't you glad to have an ego in your family? Say what? Aren't you glad they have me and your family? I'm your ego and your family. I mean, that way you don't have to look at the e- the eagle cam anymore. You have me instead. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And poor Harriet is sitting on her two eggs. She's got twins again. <laughs> oh, Walden. I, I just, <laughs> I can't look. I, I just cannot look. at That woman, we need to sign her up with Planned Parenthood or something. <laughs> you just can't keep having twins. Well, have you sent yeah. it, have you sent her an email to invite her on the show? We can talk about you know raising kids or something. Boy, I'll tell you. She really the the whole Eagle family. It was a disastrous year last year. Well, I guess it was this year, 2016, is being shipped out to sea, and then people never want to see it again. Um, Ozzy died. The the yep. the daddy. Yep who was injured so badly, and they finally got him back to the nest. And a couple of weeks after that, a new male showed up and engaged him in a fight, and he had disastrous injuries. So that that was Ozzy. And then she had twins, and, of course, there's always one twin that thrives, and the second one has to fight for his food. But the second one, the little one, got somehow got tangled up in fishing line and it was hooked into the nest. It must have been part of the sticks or vegetation that the eagles brought to the nest to build it up. Mm-hmm. And so he had to be rescued. And then he got back to the nest and he was in healthier shape. I mean, it took him a long time to get him nursing back to health. And then the big owl showed up and knocked the babies out of the nest. And they were pretty big at the time. Knocked the babies out of the nest. One of them made it back to the nest, but they had no idea where the other one was. And they found him a week later, starving and dehydrated with a broken leg. So they put him, it it was just a terrible year. Those poor little eagles. I'm glad they got good health. I'm I'm glad they got good health insurance for crying out loud, you know. Oh, gee, you know, I'm, I'm... 
I want to find out who their insurance agent is. (laughs) This is good. But we're so fortunate to have a volunteer group. It's called the Care and Rehabilitation of Wildlife, and the acronym is CROW, C-R-O-W. And we are so fortunate to have these people here. They take such good care of our wildlife. Hmm? Are you going to invite them onto the show next year, maybe? You know, that that would really be a good thing. I will find something that coincides with the National Be Kind to Animal Week or something like oh. that. And, uh, yeah, that would be a great idea. They, Everyone who works there, the, the veterinarians who come in and monitor and order medication and do surgery, they're all volunteers. They don't get paid. We need to talk to them. They might be good people. I know. They are. They're they're wonderful people. So I think that's a that's a great suggestion. Thank you. No problem. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Well, well, can Patricia have the experience of talking to a fourth eye general and an eagle catcher all in the same week? Only here. An the eagle history. catcher. Yeah. Yeah. An eagle catcher. That's good. That's good. And they're all volunteers. They they just do everything. They do everything. I know that they've got some paid employees out there. You just can't, you know, pack up a a couple of dozen volunteers and say, okay, the place is yours. But the, 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 the wheels turn because of volunteers out there. And I I just don't say thank you to our volunteers in the world, never mind just in individual areas. But as we um, Colonel Sylvester last week, yeah. these are all volunteers out in the in the trenches working for Toys for Tots. Yeah. They don't get paid for it. They're they're out there putting hours and hours and hours and hours in. You're a volunteer. I'm a volunteer. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. Every, everybody associated with the station is a volunteer. Yeah. It's, it's about as non-profit as you can get. Very yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we need to, or I need to, remember to say thank you to our volunteers more frequently and make sure that every week one of us says thank you to our servicemen and women. Well, and also, that's another thing we found out this week. We're going to be able to talk to one of the famous uh, airmen. Uh, w- w- oh, from Tuskegee. Yes. Who is 95, sharper attack. Uh, he's going to his holiday vacation right now here on Monday. <laughs> so we're waiting we're waiting for him to get back into town. But, uh, oh, my gosh. So oh, my gosh. So you know, this, is, this is, boy, you talk about an opportunity to have personal experiences, but a history lesson as well. It it was an unusual time in our history, and it's something that I've never had an opportunity to talk about before with anyone. So this will be great. Actually, I did. I did a a public television from, you know, an area in in southwest Florida, public television. I did two interviews. I had two black soldiers from World War II in their studio. I was doing the interview in their studio. And so that, but that was the only time I ever had an opportunity to talk about uh, the black troops and segregation within the troops and who might be an exception to that. And 
so it, it's going to be really a wonderful experience to talk with him. He just got done doing a presentation at the Ronald Reagan Library, so, uh, so we're looking forward to talking to Bob Friend, and that, that's something will be happening fairly soon. And, you know, we're, we're, we're spanning our horizons, you know? <laughs> to get any broader, we're going to have to hire people. <laughs> we don't want to do that. Now, we got a big station announcement to make before we up open up phone call, but Christian must have a topic of the day, so we might need to find that out soon or whatever she has in plan. Um, uh-huh. Yesterday, USA might be off the air for a little while this week because AT&T are circling <laughs> 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive, Richardson, Texas. 75081. They're doing telephone maintenance in, in Bill and Kim's neighborhood and circling the house, getting close to it. So once they start tapping in there and turning everything down, yesterday USA will be off for a little while because uh, of maintenance, I guess, at the telephone line. So be aware of that. Once I find out, we'll put it up on Facebook. But it could happen today. Probably not today, because it's already Saturday night. But I, it could happen sometime this week. So, so uh, just be aware of that. You know, if you miss Patricia, email her at floridawriter at hotmail dot com. So, and she'll put on a private performance via request. That's at seven one four five four five two zero seven one. I love the we. When when you talk about we, I love it. Never know what kind of surprise I'm going to be expected to come up with. <laughs> you are so funny. Oh my goodness. What what did somebody maybe that's what my uncle Jim had told me that what what did we mean? That mean that means you have a frog in your pocket? That was always a little you know, that when I was a we he they always said, Oh, that means you have a frog in your pocket? Yes. <laughs> all right. Now I now I feel better. You and the frog are going to accomplish all of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right. I just love the we when we. the we sneaks into conversation. Is say what? <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure? Okay. Well, I have uh, next Friday. Oh gosh! Look at all of this. Oh my goodness! All right. So we've from the tenth. Through the 16th, I have this all listed out. Okay. And for the, <laughs> for the, well, besides the 12th, which is Monday. Right. That's National Dingling Day. And you know who it's Whatever. Oh. <laughs> also, yeah, Dingling Day. That, However. That would have been Frank Sinatra's song, Frank Sinatra's birthday. So if that would have been a song he would sing? Dingling. I don't know. But, okay. but there is a song, My Dingling, My Dingling. Want you to play with My Dingling. I never do that one. Oh, my goodness. We'll have to get that one to you okay. as well. Okay. So we've got Dingling Day. However, on the food department, the 11th is National Noodle Ring Day. What the heck is a noodle ring? I have no idea. I mean, there are... I depend on are, you. There are noodles that look like a circle kind of thing, but... Yeah. I don't know. Noodle, noodle ring. I'll have to look that up. They've got a link here for it. Okay. Then on the 13th, it's National Ice Cream Day. I would vote for that. Okay, and then uh, we have 
on the 14th, roast chest. <clears throat> Erase that. Uh-huh. Roast chestnuts day. That's a hard one for me to say. And then we have on the 15th, National Lemon Cupcake Day. That sounds like one that might be on your list. Uh-huh. You like lemon. And then on Friday, it's National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. Woo. I think uh, we can yeah. capitalize that. Hmm? What? Uh, let's see, chocolate covered lemon cupcakes. If you say so. <laughs> what's what's ice cream? What's ice cream on the side? If you say so. No, let's see, ice cream filling, chocolate covered lemon cupcake cupcake with ice cream filling. I think you better come to my restaurant. <laughs> well, you can, you we, can, we, you, 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 we, that would incorporate Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday on one meal. Okay. You're not, you're not buying this. I'm not buying this. Okay. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to get along with. Okay, what else? What, what, what? That's what I just, that was my remark of the day. Okay. Back to you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the National Noodle Ring Day. Um, nobody can find any information about it, even the site that lists it. So nobody even knows how to make them. I see. It's just a, it's a whole holiday. I, I think so. Mm. I think so. At least they did their homework and tried to find information. But it, there it is. They were curious just like you and I. <laughs> it says, what would cooking be like without the noodle ring? We shudder to think about it. We certainly are relieved that the noodle ring exists. So we can look. So we can cook them in one recipe or another, and then they say we don't know what it is either. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Okay. All right. What else do I have here before we can run away? Oh, theme, theme, theme. I'm into food. We're into food here. Ooh. I would like to know. Yeah, food, food. We're back to food. Rich in New Jersey. I hope you call in because he was the one who said you record last night didn't take you any time at all to get to food (laughs) so he's been monitoring us okay food holiday food what is your favorite holiday food and that can include dinner snacks desserts candies fruitcake absolutely anything what is your favorite food everything doesn't count yeah It depends on what the mood I'm in. I would right now would like to have a honey baked cam with pineapple marshmallow salad. I love my mild okay. I love my mom's and pineapple marshmallow salad. All right. There's a there's a special ambrosia? Is that is that the the dessert named Ambrosia? Uh, it was totally different, but this is this is a this is a salad, Patricia. Yeah. And it's up to you. You can put on a bed, uh, a bed of lettuce or not, but or it's plain, but it's made out of marshmallow, Cool Whip, and pineapple. Mhm. Okay. Fruit salad recipe. Ambrosia. Hmm. Doesn't say anything about lettuce. Um, 
and I'm, I'm, it, it's just the first thing that came up. It's not that there isn't limits. Um, gee whiz, look at all of that stuff. This is not low sugar, low calorie, is it? Oh, it probably is. It's just, you know, we just have to invent. You know, think of the money we could make, Patricia, if we could invent the food that tastes good and had no calorie, no fat, no nothing. What do you think? I think it would be a winner. You go first. (laughs) 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 I'm not up to challenges this week. What? What would be the what would be the best money making idea we had? What food product if we had out there? Wow, that would be the, the money maker. I mean, no no cho- no calories, no fat, but tastes good if I get anything else. Completely healthy for you. What would be the ideal food that we could make money off of? Wow, I think McDonald's hamburgers. Oh. See, I thought maybe a chocolate product would do it. Chocolate? You can get away with eating chocolate. Well, see, I was thinking uh, making, it, making money, you know? There are some people who have yeah, to have a chocolate yeah. every day. Um, when, when you eat a Big Mac with all the trimmings, that is a full day's worth of calories. What, six, seven, eight hundred or, or something, isn't it? I, I don't know. And we talked about... Can we talk about fifteen hundred to sixteen hundred? Well, that's that's not bad. That's not bad. That's your entire day's worth of calories, the whole day. I know. Wrapped so, up I, in a I, hamburger. I, I know somebody who, when he goes to lunch, he eats four of them. Big Macs. Yes. Is he still with us? Yes. Okay. He's, he's somebody that you well, and that I, just took my breath away. He's, he, he, he's somebody you and I both know. Okay. And he orders like six, six orders of fries to go with that. That's his lunch. All right. <laughs> Is he one of our friends in Seattle? No. He's our computer guy, Don. You can't be serious. Yeah, I am. Okay. Now, I want to tell you the 1,500 calories is without the fries. If you have fries with it, yeah. we'll send flowers. <laughs> well, I can't believe he, he can do that. Yeah, yeah he, 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 doesn't, he, he waits to eat at one time. Okay. Four Big Macs. I'm, I'm speechless. I, I am just speechless. I have never met anyone except maybe Rosie Greer who could down a meal like that. I know. It's pretty amazing. Wow. But I think he hasn't done that in the last couple of days. So. A couple of days? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is like filling up your gas tank, you know? <laughs> I can go for the rest of the week without having to refill. Oh, gee. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He called me to the this normal Walden. I don't, what, what, what am I supposed to say, right? I hope you told him the truth. <laughs> he, he wants to know if anybody... Eagle Cat does not lie. Well, I don't make him, if he's that hungry, I'm not going to say no. 
if if he said, "Is this normal?" What yeah. did you tell him? Well, I don't I don't eat that. That's what I did. I don't. I'm not able to eat that. Uh, all right. That that was a good way to. It was a good non-confrontational response. Well, that's why my not, pa- not not even a hint of "Hey, stupid." That was good. <laughs> I mean, Chad Chad calls me to task once in a while, and I say, you know, he's got the most polite way of saying "Hey, stupid," <laughs> <laughs> and he does. He really does. So, okay, wow. Four, Four. plus fries. Plus fries. Mobile orders of fries, so you know you got you're looking at a few calories, right? You're looking at a week's worth of calories here. <laughs> hey, truly, yeah. my gosh, you're off the charts with just a a Big Mac with cheese. This is now you got to have a cheese mac here, Big Mac with cheese mm-hmm. and fries. You've got all of one day and fifty percent of the next day tied up in calories there. So, so doing that four, four times, time. yeah, that would that would be a week's worth of calories. Oh well. Now I'm saying fifteen hundred. That's yeah. that's the average bear, and probably more for women. Guys can go to two thousand, and depending on their makeup and the way they digest foods and retain cal and stuff like that, you can go as high as twenty five hundred. So that's why with your pride. Like these, have you ever looked up how many calories these professional bodybuilders eat in a day? I did, but I don't recall. Now, the professional bodybuilders and sumo wrestlers and yeah. the, the really intense physical uh, training and stuff like that there. I, mean, these are the guys I are, seem to recall we're into 6,000, 7,000 yes, calories yes, a day. We are, 7,000 calories, and these are the guys who are training for the Olympics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. that's a few calories, my dear. Yes, they're the ones who drink drinks made from raw eggs too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Isn't it amazing that you know when we were kids, mm-hmm. moms would make um, oh, not an eggnog, an egg, maybe eggnog. I don't know, but but it it had raw eggs in it. Nobody got sick. And now you can't even touch eggs without washing your hands later because of a salmonella threat. What, do, what are we doing today that we didn't do 20 years ago? I wonder if we're not as observant today. Or we, we, uh, we're willing to take more, maybe people are more cautious today than they w- were years ago. Did, did your mother... Our grandmother ever talk about somebody getting really sick after eating eggs? Well, maybe no. you know if you get really sick and you and you suspect it's food. Twenty five or thirty years ago, even, and they wouldn't necessarily know which food caused the problem. Yeah. My mom was very careful. She always talked about salmon. She was very careful when she cooked with chicken and things like that. that was, mm-hmm. She was very cautious about. It. My mom was very. Progressive in the kitchen. We uh, we ate very healthy back in the seventies. You know, as you know, my when my uncle Jim would come over for dinner. Uh, you know, because the time when he my mom were kids, my my grandmother salted everything heavy and had salt on the table. My mom 
have just really had it go up without salt and without a salt shaker on the table. You know, mm-hmm. it's a totally different yes. perspective <clears throat> of cooking. Yes. You know, of course, a little no. salt here and there, but, but you know, I'm just talking mm-hmm. about in generality. It's just really, I, I bet my mom went on the complete opposite than her mom on, on the salt shaker, you know. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Oh my! The, I've I've have gotten accustomed to. I won't say low salt. I'll, I'll say low salt. I, I'm not as aggressive with a salt shaker as I used to be. Uh-huh. But what? I was just I was just making a statement. Uh huh. I'm waiting to you. I, I can't oh, you're. Uh-huh. Oh, it was it was an uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm not as aggressive with a salt shaker, but I have not eliminated salt. And I use the half and half type thing. I can actually taste when a restaurant product has salt in it because they usually overdo it. Mm. Before, you know, before I, I started getting a little bit more cautious with what I put in my mouth. Right. Well, I've always been cautious, but not not necessarily with salt. Um, I couldn't taste it. And now I realize how much salt people are eating when they're served a meal in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. This is not a healthful thing. Well, we I, must start a protest. I think I read somewhere that we, or heard on the radio, that we have more salt in our cereal than we do in potato chip. That is, that is correct. That is correct. Well, a lot of time I'm always brushing this off away from the potato chip, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Indeed. And I'll tell you when I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Salt. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you said cereal. Canned foods. When they say no sugar added type thing. Mm-hmm. Or not necessarily canned food, but no, no sugar added, you can depend on extra salt. When it says low salt or no salt, you can pretty much plan on extra sugar because they they wow. feed off each other. Okay. So, uh, not feed off each other. They, they, they work in harmony with each other. And when one is missing or in low quantity, jacking up the other one helps make the food more palatable. I never knew or that. Closer to what we're closer to what we're accustomed to eating, so so like with with um, all natural peanut butter type thing, and they right. say uh, yeah, well, the all natural peanut butter has more sugar than the processed now, peanut butter. Now, now, now that's point why I always think when I eat an all natural peanut, it tastes sweeter to me. Well, now you explained it why. Isn't that interesting that you could taste that? Now I eat the. Natural peanut butter, not necessarily because it's labeled natural, but because I like the taste better than other types of peanut butter. And then Peter Pan peanut butter was on sale to the price of one, and I thought, well, it's got less sugar in it. Why not? And it was good. It was very good peanut butter. That was the one that was labeled no no nuts, (laughs) no peanuts. No, what is it? Oh, warning peanut product. Because there are so many people with acute allergies yeah. to peanuts, particularly kids. And so there was a note on the label that the food contained peanuts. It was peanut butter. How stupid is our society getting? 
They're taking stupid pills for breakfast. Why would you not know that peanut butter had peanuts in it? My guess, my answer would probably, uh, the, the legal profession wants to make sure the obvious is stated. They just want to make sure. It, it's true. Yeah. It, it is true. Yeah. But I think we have overstretched our welcome when we have to put this product contains peanut butter. It's peanut, or this product contains peanuts. It's peanut butter. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Walden. Okay, so now we have had some minutes in between. What would be your favorite holiday food at this particular moment? I'm ready for barbecue. But I don't think it turns it out for, for holidays. I, um, how about peanut butter cookies? But that's not really a holiday cookie. Well, I'll show what I had on tonight. I'll show for peppermint ice cream. That's definitely a holiday treat. That's a holiday treat. Can you get that at other times of the year? Mm, I think we talked about this yeah, with John most, and Larry one night. Yeah, most time not. Hmm. Yeah, Kim Bragg has a hard time finding her peppermint ice cream you know, at different times. I think it might be available in some brand, but you really don't see it. My goodness. My goodness. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll allow peanut uh, um, okay. peppermint ice cream. We we can allow peppermint okay, ice so cream. So what about for mm-hmm. you? If you if you know if Patricia can eat anything she really wants, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't affect her anyway. What holiday mm-hmm. food would she want? I I would choose two. Two. One is yes. Two. Two, two is the first one is fruitcake. I really like fruitcake. I, I like the ones that are packed so full of stuff that um, and soaked in brandy. <laughs> I mean, the, I want the whole Megillah. Yeah. So fruitcake would be one. And the second one is a cookie type, a, a cookie type food called Pfefferness. It's a German uh, cakey cookie, and it's covered with powdered sugar on the outside. It's it's spicy, but not not like a spice cookie. It, it's just got an unusual combination of spices, and I just love them. So if you could sit me down with a couple of boxes of Pfefferness, I could piggy out on that and be so full of Pfefferness I'd be ill the next day. But, yes, I really like that. Ah, okay. So those are my two choices right now. Okay. But as with you, it depends on what kind of hungry I am at the time I answer these kinds of questions. We have craving for certain food. I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. I do not know. I know with some things, if you if you crave something with salt, your sodium level might be down. Okay. Um, and so for for some items, there really is a physiological reason for craving it. But uh-huh. in general, when when people say, "Oh my gosh, I would love to have a hamburger right now," yeah. I don't I I don't know. I do now because we've been talking about hamburgers. Yes, I would like a hamburger, please, <laughs> but that's hardly holiday food unless maybe you put little red dots on the hamburger bun or something okay, like that. Okay, so what's on Patricia's hamburger? She gets to make. She gets to have the only. She has the, the Patricia burger. Uh huh. What's on it? Uh, raw onion, holded lettuce and tomato, uh-huh. and some ketchup. And that's it. Mhm. Okay. 
but I'd, I'd like a healthy, you know, a robust hamburger. I do not want a medallion oh, okay. <laughs> in we, the middle we, of my bun. We want, yeah. we want the half pound plus burger. Ooh. Yeah, that, well, that's a big. That's yeah, well, I guess I could have wiped out a half pounder. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's that's kind of a lot, but I'll try. I'll well, I'll give it the you, old college try. You can take it. You can take the rest of it home. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Or I could just make it at home and see how well I do. Ah, uh, you make good and hamburgers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'll have to think of some things that I've really bombed on. What's the worst meal you've ever, ever prepared that you decided not <laughs> to eat? That I decided not to eat? Yes. Oh. I, don't, I can't recall anything. Okay, you're, you're very conscientious about waste, so you haven't had that kind of bomb? Uh, I've... Of weight, something that is weight sensitive. You, you, no, 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 something you would not throw away. You're very. Oh. You're not. You're not a wasteful person. You're. You're a kind of. Oh, wasteful? No, no, I am not. Um. <laughs> I suppose there's something I might leave in the refrigerator long enough for me to say, "Oh gosh, look at that! <laughs> I have to throw this away now," and and it will be a guilt-free deposit into the, into the dumpster, but. Uh, I I don't recall. There there are it, there are surely bombs in my history. Um, there, oh, we talked about one one night, and I tried to find the recipe. I thought it was in in an ancient Amy Vanderbilt cookbook. You know, garage sales are so great for yeah. these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, and I I made gourmet hamburgers that had the spice rosemary in it. I can't remember what else. I was I had to put in that thing. They were so dreadful. And I said, I I don't I don't think I'm going to make myself eat this or put it in the refrigerator even. They were it was just awful. It really was a bomb. That was a bomb. And I trusted the cookbook. I mean, how could you not trust something that said gourmet hamburgers? So if a recipe book has two or three bad meals, do you decide to throw it away the cookbook? Oh, gosh, no. Oh, goodness, no. I mean, everything, it, it's taste. What tastes good to me doesn't necessarily taste good to other people. There are people who love Brussels sprouts. Uh, uh, uh. I'm not among them, but the stores still sell them, so yeah. somebody's eating Somebody. them. Yeah. yeah. What's one vegetable you would just cross off your list or have crossed off your list? Um, beans are very hard for me to eat sometimes. Beans? The red beans. The ones that are you know, the, the, in cubes that are, and are dark red. Beans. Uh-huh. Those are kidney beans. No. Kidney beans? No. No? No. It's called beets. Beets. They're oh, beets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love beets. Yep. 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 I love pickled beets. I love buttered beets when they're hot and cooked. I just love beets. I do. I really like beets. 
So you say you save your beets for me. What would you like me to save for you? Lima beans. Do you like lima beans? Uh, I haven't eaten too much of it over the years, so I normally it's not on my high list of okay. want to eat. Uh, I I I love iceberg lettuce, so if you make sure you Oh me too. You, know, you cannot have my iceberg lettuce, you cannot. I I I I do I prefer to have my salad as an iceberg lettuce. I'm not crazy having it at the some of the other veggies. <clears throat> no, romaine lettuce yes. and stuff romaine, like that there. No. Romaine I'm okay. The one with the one that looks like creepy Charlie. You know that Oh know. yes. Um Oh gosh, I I, I cannot. For him, but I, that's not my style of lettuce. I want it to be iceberg. No, no, I I want iceberg. And when I go to Sam's Club and I get the two pound mm-hmm. packages of lettuce, mm-hmm. it's all iceberg. Yeah. Now actually, I I, I do the garden salad sometimes too because you get carrots and cabbage. Yeah, lettuce. We, we get the variety pack of when we when yeah we, yeah yeah that's good. That's good. I have no bunny food in my refrigerator, Walden. What? I know. You I'm have, having an anxiety attack. You have milk? Yes, I have milk. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's past the due date or the, <laughs> the expiration date, so I'll have to check it. But I keep the refrigerator so cold that I get a lot of extra mileage out of foods. Well, Amazon delivers everything. Have you gone to Amazon and have them deliver the iceberg lettuce and, and milk? I'm not sure I could afford. Do they do they have a price threshold that they will deliver? Well, or I deliver fifty dollars or over or something like that? No, I think I think if you if you're Amazon Prime, everything free shipping. But the 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 instant delivery really? Wow. I don't know. Hmm. Just order enough to make it worthwhile, Patricia. You know, I mean, you know, if they're going to charge for delivery, you might as well just order enough to make it worthwhile. I know. I know. And if they're not charging for delivery and you've got some, they they put a price threshold on free delivery. The shipping is free for orders $49 and over. They don't put a weight limit on it. So if you're ordering a refrigerator, for example, from from Amazon, it's a good deal to go over $49 or prime time, uh, prime delivery. Can you imagine, so. can you imagine how much mail business they're doing if the post office comes to them to pick up the mail? Um, sure. They're doing a little bit of business if they, do, if they got the post office just coming to them to pick everything up. I think there are a lot of a lot of um, organizations and businesses and stuff like that there that would qualify for pickup. I don't know what their limit is. Do you know what their threshold is? No, I do not. I don't. I don't. Didn't you know I was going to ask? No, uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't that smart to figure that one out. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I have I have um, my colonial question for you tonight. It's not really colonial, but I hope you'll give me a pass on it. When when did when did colonial when what 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 is the the breaking year? What is the, what is the break in history that 
qualifies as colonial. How, how, how far back can I go? I know we've got 16. Well, if you ask me, I, I, would, I would count up to about um, uh, 1815. I would, I would count up to the time when the British burned down the White House in 1812. I would consider that all colonial period. Because you're looking at, you know, 1787 to 1812. You're looking about a 25-year period or so. What about when Jamestown was settled in the 1600s? I would say that's pre-colonial. But it was a colony. Very good. I, I guess I've always think of colonial as being the 13 states. I, I, don't, I don't think of mm. the 1600s as being the part of a colonial past, but you, you could say it is. There's no doubt about it. Well, it was a colony. But I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking colony in the traditional interpretation right. of the word, or right. the the contemporary. I, I guess that would be it. Right. The contemporary. Uh, I guess I'm so. thinking of the American terminology of the 13 states. I'm so confused. Well, I knew this was outside the limit anyway, so <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. I. Uh, it, it was just such a good question, you know. Keep it in the let's keep it in the colonial period. You can just say this is the uh, the extra bonus version. It's it's pre-colonial, but familiar history. Okay. I, well, I, think I, I when, when I get to ask it, when I get to ask you later, you can tell me whether or not I'm even close. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even close. I am okay. so far out of it. That's okay. So far out of it. I'm in the 1400s. That's okay. I mean, heck, I study history, so I should know. So instead of colonial history, maybe I should just go history, history. History, history. I really like colonial history. It was such a rich period in our national background. Yeah. Are we going to talk to people tonight? Yes, I'm waiting for you to say, Walton, open up the phones. Walton, open up the phones. Would you? No, no, erase that. Walton, would you please open up the phones? I have to get please in there. Adorable, it's done. 714-545-2071 is the adorable hotline. She's here on Saturday night to pick up the phone. Actually, I pick it up for her. She's actually talking. <laughs> I pick up the phone. You pick up the phone. Yep. And all of Walden's equipment is working properly, so you don't even have to get a call back in That's order true. to get on the air. That's true. So this is good. And yesterday this I was good. over at January delivering some telephone equipment, so hopefully they're going to be able to have the flexibility to do that too. Hooray! I got an email from Chad earlier who said he was shocked. He was shocked, absolutely shocked at, at the language of the show when we were talking with Ken and with Ron. And I thought, oh my goodness. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I, I wrote back and I said, what did I do or what did we say or what happened? But so he wrote back out. and said... I mean, it was really a cute email. We just had exclamation points in there. I'm shocked. It was just a shocking experience. 
It was when I called that grandma song a freaking grandma song. I didn't hear that. I think think that's yeah. I didn't hear that. That that was the that was the yeah that that was the closest. How did he put it? I'll have to look it up. But it it was the worst word I he heard me use ever in our broadcast history. So I said, okay, I apologize profusely for it, and. I normally handle that for in our department. This, this is true. You know, I, I told him it was, when he was talking S-words one night, he said, oh, my God, did I say that? <laughs> did I say that word? No, you did not. It was sports, not the other word. Um, Hello there, Carl. You're Arthur Annie. Patricia. <coughs> yes, this is Russ Stevens. Hi, Russ. How you doing? Hi, How are y'all? Good. Good. Oh, you know what? There's some things that I don't like. Okay. Well, let's see. There's artichokes. I don't care for them. Okay. Uh, I don't care for liver. I've never had it, so I have no idea what I'm missing. Okay. Well, I'll throw it up every time I try to eat. Wow. Okay. And let's see. You come to my restaurant, I'm not going to feed your liver, that's for sure. Do what now? I said, if you come to my restaurant at my house, I won't feed you liver, I promise. I don't want you to do stuff on the floor. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. You know what John Hancock's favorite thing was? Uh, No. He liked to sign documents. No. uh, His favorite thing to eat was... Would you believe fried lamb's kidney? How do we know that? Huh? I, know I, it that? does sound pretty disgusting. How do we know that? Yeah. I, I tried it one, some one time. Oh, yuck. I, I couldn't stand it. Another thing I don't like, I don't like hard-boiled eggs or deviled eggs. Well, I'll cross that often, but that's my specialty. I make very good deviled eggs. Walden, do you like deviled eggs? Uh, they're fine. I don't always, my my dad and brother just eat them, so I, I, I normally let them go by and let the family, I, uh, I'm, I'm good with them, but it's, it's not okay. the first thing I grab, you know what I mean? Okay, well that's good because they're a pain in the petunias to make. Are they really? Yeah. Yeah, anyway, they are. Now, talk, you know what I love, though, is potato salad. Is what? Potato well, salad. Potato salad. Oh, yeah. I like it if it don't have boiled eggs in it, like German potato. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one thing, okay. you know. I do not put eggs in my potato salad. It, okay. What's that's one thing. There's so many recipes for potato salad. I have no idea. You, you, you know, when you go to a trip pot rock or whatever, or somebody mm-hmm. how you never have any idea how somebody makes potato salad. It's not. No. They're no. all different. <laughs> Um, I had some tonight. I don't want Mexican potato salad or whatever kind it was, but it was good. It didn't have them darn hard-boiled eggs in it. Ah. I don't like the way the devil likes his eggs, but I sure do like the way he likes his cake. (laughs) Very good. Ah, the devil's food cake. Okay. Hey, you know know how to make, uh, you know, when you bake cakes, you know how to make them light? I do not. I'm I'll not. bite. What? Go ahead. <clears throat> All right. When you mix up the batter and everything in the pan, you bounce it on the counter about two or, 
two or three times, and that lets all the air out of it. And that makes it light? <laughs> huh? And that makes it light? Yeah, you know how cakes are like birthday cakes. You go buy them, they're, they're light instead of, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, but anyways, um, that's the way you do it. Well, and you, are you talking about light and fluffy cake, that kind yeah, of light? Uh-huh. Yeah. And you bang the octave. Okay. All right. I'll I trust you. I trust you, Russ. Yeah. Hey, I'll ask you a baseball question. Okay. <clears throat> Who was the best pitcher between 1912 and I guess about 1928 or something like that? How about Walter Johnson? Nope. Grover Cleveland. Yep. Ah. Grover Cleveland Alexander. Yep. But, uh, what, and, you know where he came from? Uh, I know he started with the Philadelphia Phillies at first. Yeah, but what state was he born? I'm not sure. Patricia, you know. You know what state Grover Cleveland Alexander was born in, right? I never heard of when you said Grover Cleveland. I thought you were switching over to presidents. Um, Grover Cleveland yeah. Alexander's name. I have never even heard. Why would I know? But you, you uh, know or should what, I know? You, should you, I know? Yes, you should know what state he was born in. You know, the same one that jo- Johnny Carson and, and uh, Fred Astaire. Oh, how and, foolish of me! And, oh, silly yeah, me! It, when you ask for a state, yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. It, it, you, you cannot go wrong. Well, even if you go wrong, yeah. it's minuscule compared to being right all the time. That's right. When you ask about a state, I should just automatically come up with Nebraska. You're right. Very good, Patricia. How do you shame know on me. <laughs> shame, shame, shame on me for not. Hey, what state did you say? Nebraska. He's oh, okay. He's a Nebraska guy. Well, one thing, I think it was about 1912, he got hit in the head with a baseball. Right. So he would see double vision, and he was a bad alcoholic. Yeah, he was. They almost suspended him from baseball. You know who played him in the movies? No, but I went to the show. Uh, it was in 3D, and, of course, I I didn't want to be any different, so I put on a pair of them 3D glasses like the rest of the people did. Yeah. Patricia, you want to guess who who played him in the movies? There was a movie about Grover uh, Cleveland. Ronald Reagan. Very good, Raj. Very good. My goodness. Very good. Okay, I'm just going to sit in the audience when you, while you two bat this stuff now? back and forth. Patricia, I said, I'm just going to sit here and pretend I'm in the audience while the two of you go back and forth with this information. It's wonderful. You know, Babe Ruth, you know that Babe Ruth had diabetes, he didn't take care of his health, and uh, also, they didn't tell him that he had cancer. That's what got him. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's amazing that he was only 40, was it was it 52 years old? I mean, you should think about it, he was very young. Who? He was. Babe Ruth. He was. Yeah. When he passed I, away. I, I came across some yeah, information about him today. I think 52 is correct. I think he died in 19, 1947, I think. 48, and, and his daughter, his stepdaughter is still alive. She's almost 100 years old. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and I still can't get over it. Lou Gehrig was only 39. Yeah. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. 
they don't know how Lou Gehrig got that ALS disease. That's a it's mystery. not something you can catch. Huh? It's it's not something you can catch. It's a genetic disorder. Well, they they hadn't figured out how he got it. Yeah, well, it was interesting, you know, the radio uh, radio performer Peg Lynch, she used to work in the Mayo Clinic when uh-huh. she was a student, and she was with Luke Gary the day that he found out that he had mm. ALS. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Awful stuff. Yeah. They didn't want his wife to know about it, but she found out somewhere or another. I think about everybody in in America knew about it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, a hard thing to go through. Yeah, I've known one or two people. Uh, one that I went to school with, School for the Blind, that got it. Oh, you know what? I can't. <laughs> I love it when you do. You know what? what? Y'all, one of you sent me the Big John deal, and I can't find the Dropbox. Go well. Maybe you want to call me off air, and, we'll, and I'll and I'll work with you on your computer, but it's on your desktop. Uh, it's on my desktop. It's on your desktop. No, there's nothing. I don't. I've, Arrowed and tabbed and everything hit else. The le- hit, the letter, hit the letter D as in David. Yeah? That's where it's at. It's on your desktop. Really? Yes. Okay, that's how it's set up with mine. Okay. I don't know whether... I'll try it and see. Yeah, hit, hit the letter D as in David yep. until you hear the drop box, and that's how you get there. Okay. So that's where, that's where they put it. All right. Uh, now, good. is there anything you want to ask me? Um, no. name all, name all of Santa's reindeers. Well, let's see. And which one was a female? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> probably. I, that, I learned that this week. How about, my, how about Cupid? No. Uh, According to my mother, she was, my mothers are never wrong. She, she sat down and read me Christmas trivia questions this week. And, yeah. want, and one of the questions that one of the eight reindeers is a female. Which one? Mm. And hey, that's a good question to put out for the family here to guess. Which, which Was it Vixen? Yes. Ah, I, I, I have bad news for you, Walden. What's that? Uh, what? The really, the really bad news yes. is that um, the male reindeer lose their uh, antlers for the winter. So they're all females. They're no. all females. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. All <laughs> Actually, no. There is well, there is speculation that they might all be females, but you're right. Oh. Vixen is is the one that's a sure thing. Uh, well, all deer lose their antlers once a year. Yeah, and it's it's only the the um, the bucks have antlers, not the females. Well, every once in a while, you'll come up with a. Uh, it's rare, but every once in a while you'll come up with a a doe that has um, antlers. Oh my! Her parents must have been confused. <laughs> so <laughs> there's I don't know how they tag it if uh, 
they come up, you know, some states, well, they'll let you shoot one one doe and two bucks, but uh, I don't know, I forgot how they figure that in if you uh, shoot a, a doe that has antlers, unless they classify it as a buck. Okay, I got another trivia question I learned this week, and I'll put it to both of you. Okay. In the song Joy to the World, how many are, how many la 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 are there? <laughs> oh. You mean in, in throughout the entire song, well, or when, when we get to that refrain, when, when how many times that, do they say yeah, la 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 la? When, when we get to that refrain. Oh, la 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 Nine. Nine? You're close. Try again. Huh? It's not nine. Now, are, are, is it just the la-la that we're looking for and yeah, we forget it, the fa at it, the front? It's the la-las. Uh, eight? Okay, then it's yes. eight. Very good, Russ. And Patricia, you both are correct. So the eight are. I, I have enough fingers. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I just said fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la. Yeah. So um, I, I didn't run out of fingers, so it had to be ten or fewer. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> We're doing magic tonight. Hey, which one of y'all are uh, identical twins? Well, neither, neither of us, because that's on Friday. That's on Friday? That's on Fridays. Uh, who, are, who are they? John and Roy Gassman. John and Roy Gassman? Larry. John and Roy. Larry. Uh, oh, Larry Gassman. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. They're the Gassman. Do they... Identical twins, do, do some of them act and think alike, or what do you know about them? Well, we can interview one of them and find out, but they have a tendency that they sort of know what each other thinks sometimes. Mm. Or, or when they speak together, they can almost be blended. So mm. there, there must be some semblance of that. Um, when they were younger, when they were in their 20s, yeah. It was hard for me to tell who was who in terms of their speaking voices. Now, during the 60s, I can tell easily who, who I'm talking to. But I see. 35 years ago, it was tough. Hey, let me tell you a story. A friend of mine, you know, they... Oh, the guy got the girl in the family way, you know. And mm-hmm. Of course, back then, you'd, if you did that, then you'd have to marry her and support her and everything. Right. Well, when the babies <clears throat> when the babies were born, they were twins. Right. And they said, "Well, we only did it once." Oh, jeez. Oh, Oh, never mind. <laughs> hey. Oh my goodness, that's that's as bad as your tomcat. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, I got I got some questions to ask you. All right. Oh. All right. What do they call it when you have your tonsils taken out? The tonsillectomy? Your appendix? Appendectomy. Yeah. And a woman's female organs? Hysterectomy. What do they call a removal uh, of... uh, uh, What do they call removal from your uh, face and head? Oh, the hair removal? Huh? No. Uh, you're talking about your beard and your hair? Yeah, your yeah, your face and and your head. What kind of removable re, remo- 
that? <laughs> I don't know, and I'm almost afraid to ask. A shave okay, and a tell haircut. me. A shave and a haircut. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty bad. <laughs> How about that? Well, at least Very I'm not good. scared anymore. That's true. Well, thank you, Ross, for giving us a call. Okay. And we'll talk uh, soon. I enjoyed. Um, if I don't talk to you before then, are you going to send me anything else? Uh, if when you, once you're able to figure out your Dropbox thing, then, we'll, and then Patricia will put the next one in. I so, may have a big Dropbox. I think I may. Okay. All right. But let us know. Thank Happy you. Happy holiday. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's right. But Patricia does Dropbox. Very simple. It, it send her an email at floridawriter at hotmail.com and she'll send you the instruction manual how to sign up for Dropbox. It's free. And this is how we're it's sharing, free. This is how we're sharing files right now. Free. It's free. It's free. And the the truth of the matter is you don't even need a manual. You click on the link that shows up in your email from me, click on it, and it takes you through two or three steps and you're in. That's it. That's you need it. an email and a password. And poof, there you are. Seven one four. Five four five two zero seven one. Her number. Give us a call. We're gonna be here for a while, around the ten o'clock hour West Coast time. We'll play Patricia's interview with Major John A. Hughes. So that will be between ten and ten thirty West Coast time. Hello there. You're on air. Hello, you two. How are you? Ah, fine. Oh, Celeste. So this is Celeste. I, have, I cannot believe that I got through. I have such a hard time getting through. I can't believe I made it. Well, if you want, I can hang. Anyway. I, I, if you want, I can hang up and we can try it again and just. Put you out in the cold, sure. Oh dear, dear, dear. Yeah. Well, I wanted to tell you something that's just been on my heart. When I ran a congressional office, my boss had um, um, John Glenn here in yeah. Texas. And he had a, the most wonderful wife, and she sort of stuttered, and he was very, very protective of her. But I was so sorry that year when he didn't win the nomination, because I think he would have been much better than Walter Mondale was. Uh, yeah, John Glenn was just the smart and just the best. The nicest person you can imagine. Yeah, he definitely was an American hero. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And in harmony with what Celeste just said, I read a comment about him in, I don't even know where, but a comment about him because, of course, the news of his death was quite prominent. And someone said he never changed. He was the nicest Never, guy in the world yeah. when he was with NASA, and he was the nicest guy in the world right to the end. Yes, because I met him that one time he came here, but then later on in the convention I met him again with his wife, Annie, and both of them knew my name. Can wow. you believe that? Just uh, kind and dear. I, I, I was looking at his credits this week, and I didn't realize how many combat missions he flew. Oh, yeah. 149. Uh -huh. I mean, he... Oh! Normally, you're, you're lucky to get to 100, and here, here, here he does, you know, 50% more of yeah. that. And 
He was the oldest, wow. per the o oldest person to ever go to space, and I got him. That's right, he mm -hmm. was part of the, uh, that whole crew in the, I think, the mid-80s when he went back up. And, he went, and, yes, he was 78, I think, when he went back up. And, you know, uh, now I'm trying to remember, you, you, maybe so I you can remember, the, the orbit in 62, he went around with for about 90 minutes or something, but it must take, right. it took, right. it must have taken him some time to get up there. Before they start counting, I, I'm assuming. I don't know how they. Yeah. Uh huh. How they yeah. counted that. But. Uh, so I have to find yeah. out how long it takes to get into orbit. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know well, the answer. I'll go to that. find out. Okay. I think once you get into orbit to orbit the Earth one time, I don't think it took that terribly long. But now I don't know how long it takes you to get into well, orbit. Well, did he go over? Did he know. go over? more than once. I thought he did. Wait, yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. We, and as a matter of fact, it was just a couple of weeks ago we looked that one up. I think we did. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll, we'll miss him. He was a real, real American. They were saying he was the last of the uh, seven Mercury yeah. pilots we had. That, that's right. Now I'll tell you a funny joke on Ronald Reagan. Sure. When he first, you know, he knew very little about Washington when he first got elected. Right. And he was doing the tour of Washington. And the former Speaker of the House, who's in my area, Jim Wright, oh, yeah. sort of showing him around. And when he got into Jim Wright's office, Jim Wright said, well, you might, you might want to know this... Uh, <laughs> This desk was used by Grover Cleveland. And Ronald Reagan said, oh, yeah, I made a, a picture about his life. <laughs> and Jim Wright said, no, Mr. President, that's a baseball player. <laughs> this this person was a president. <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Uh, he said, hey, Nancy, didn't I play him in a movie? And Jim Wright said, no, sir, there's not been a movie made about this Grover Cleveland. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. The shuttle, the shuttle took eight and a half minutes to get to orbit. Okay. Uh, but we don't know is how many years ago Earth, did Jocelyn do that. Is that <laughs> once you're in the orbit, I guess? I guess that's how you get yeah. up there, yeah. Yes, uh, it, it just orbit level in takes, eight and a half, the, the shuttle long? did, in eight and a half minutes. Eight and a half minutes, isn't that unbelievable to circle this Earth takes eight and a half minutes? I know, and but that, that was with it's, the it's, shuttle. It's talk, talk about Ronald Reagan not knowing, think about me, I don't know. I didn't know that it was just eight and a half minutes to orbit the Earth. <laughs> Well, I, when I was little, oh no, not not in orbit, but to get, get to, to the get to the height oh, that you need to be. There, I see. Okay, I had yeah. it wrong. Okay, I see. Uh huh. And then, how long did the orbit take? Well, let's see. My, I have to do. Where did John Glenn go? Mm -hmm. Um, first orbit. Let's see. I, I, I remember being four hours and fifty six minutes. Hello. Uh, he, he circled three times. Okay. And it doesn't say anything about how long it took him to get into orbit. Hello. Okay. It does. Okay. No. No. 
Okay. Well, that will be a good one to look up. We'll see if we can figure that one out. And it, I'm working. How long now? How long does it take to get into the orbit? Eight and a half minutes. Eight and a half. Okay. But then we don't know how long the actual orbit of the Earth took. Right. No, no. And I don't know how long it took him. The, the sophistication of the rockets that we were sending up in John Glenn's era were much different from the ones we're sending up today. Well, so I don't know how much thrust or... Here's an incredible thought. You know, the, all the computer technology it took us to get to the moon, uh-huh. our laptops today have more, have more capability have, than... I isn't I've inc- heard that. Isn't that incredible? Amazing. It's amazing. It is. It yeah. is. 20 years ago, the, was it UNIVAC? What was the first one that IBM put out, the first computers? I think it's the UNIVAC, yes, back in It was the, uni- the the thing that took up 88 city blocks, right. for goodness right. sakes. I mean, it was huge. Yeah. At that time, yeah. now we're talking 30, was, maybe even I, longer years ago, that our, yeah. our handheld um, calculators were more powerful than UNIVAC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I, I want to go live in a treehouse. <laughs> Good. Well, you can wave with John. You can wave to John Glenn because I know he's in heaven. <laughs> if you live in a okay. treehouse, you can just wave at John. He was the nicest man, and I, I always thought he would have made a great, great president. But, you know, he didn't have any... Um, showmanship about it, about him. Well, you, mm-hmm. yeah. well here's a trivia question for both of you. In what? the Korean, you know, in the Korean War, you know, John Fu, he was a wing commander in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. You guys know who his wingman was? A, fam- a very famous person. Buzz uh, Aldrin or who? Nope. I'd, Some, I'd, I wouldn't uh, even have to guess. A baseball player. A really? Yes, the famous baseball player flew both in the Se- Second World War and in Korea, and he was he was John Glenn's wingman in Korea. Oh, that's something I should know. But okay. now, was was this person also an astronaut? No, he's strictly a baseball the player. He was strictly a baseball was player. Wh- he was strictly a baseball player, considered the best hitter ever. And Korea was in the early fifties. Right. He, he, he was the one who lost five years of baseball because he... Oh, showed, Joe DiMaggio? Nope, not Joe. Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Ted Williams. I'll be done. Yeah. Ted Williams and John Glenn. I remember that. Yeah. Of course he was in the service. Yeah. Of course I remember yeah, that. Yeah, but that, you know, but that, but to think about it, both Ted Williams and John Glenn flew together. That's pretty incredible to think about that. Yeah. Oh, me. Well, now, this this is when they were flying for Korea. In Korea, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. Well, yeah, that is interesting. But I did know that because he had to take time off of baseball, and they weren't sure that he'd go back when he uh, got out of the Air Force. He, Correct. He did. He Correct. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, you know, Ted Williams often con talk about the, the true heroes are the guys who are fighting fighting for the country. They're not baseball players. I mean, it's just, that's the way he looked at it, you know. Um, uh, oh, sure. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, Ted was not 
a warm no. kind of person no, like John Glenn. He was but, not. You know, no. But, of course, outstanding baseball player. But he didn't have that inner warmth that uh, no. John Glenn had. He and his wife were just – I got to fly with them to Houston and San Antonio and various places when he was – running for the presidency, and I wanted him to get it so bad. Yeah. Because I just think he would have done such a good, good, fair job. It's just, you know, fairness just exuded from him. Yeah. It was just a big part of him. He took a bath in integrity every day. That's a good, good, well, visual, Patricia, that's very good. Thank you. What, Very good. What is, but it's true. What is, the man had the, the man had more integrity in in that single person than a football stadium filled with how many thousands of people? Yeah. He, yeah, he, just, he, yeah. he was a role model. Yeah. He really, really was. Well, I think it was last week. Were you all talking about uh, in your question answers talking about President Taft? Yes. A couple of weeks ago, yes. Yeah. He was, he, you yeah, he was the one Fred and Teddy Roosevelt said was a fathead story, and had the brains of a guinea pig. A story about him? Right. Patricia had a quote. Um, what was it, Patricia, about the guinea pig? Something about a guinea pig. Yeah. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, when, in 1912, when Taft was running for president, um, Teddy Roosevelt said as part of his presentation, that Taft was a fathead with the brains of a guinea pig. Go <laughs> oh, figure. That's about okay. and, as and low, and low as you can go. He, figured, he went through his whole list of presidents and decided Teddy Roosevelt would be the only one who, who would have the personality to get away with something like that. <laughs> you were good, Walden. But you all, you were good. Did, you, did you forget... The funny story I told you about Taft. No, I, he, I guess I did. The one that he got stuck in the bathtub, and they had to get yes. all that butter from the White House kitchen <laughs> and rub it, rub it all over him, uh, and couldn't let him go in there till they built a new bathtub. He got stuck, and he, those bathtubs are huge. Do you know who he played with when he was a kid? Uh uh-uh. uh He was he was good for Abraham Lincoln's kids. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's pretty remarkable. And also, you know, Taft was interesting. He really never wanted to be president. Well, his goal was to be on the, on the Supreme Court. And that's yeah. what, that's what, mm-hmm. what Woodrow Wilson did. He put him on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's remarkable here. You know, Woodrow Wilson was a Democrat. And Taft was a Republican, and he put him on the Supreme Court. I, I think that just was a remarkable accomplishment to think about. Well, yeah, that's the, but but that happens so many times. I mean, mm-hmm. in various parties, the Democrats and Republicans working together. Yep. But it's getting to be fewer and fewer times. Remember, when Social Security was about to go down, um, oh, what is his name? Claude Pepper. No, um, just trying to think of the former, doggone it, the former, Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill, yes. Yeah, Tip O'Neill went to Ronald Reagan and told him how bad the situation was with uh, 
with Social Security and how they needed to change things and shore it up. Yeah. And they worked together hand in hand. Yeah. That. One, a, one a Republican and one a Democrat. Yeah. Well, no, no, I was just thinking. Because it's something good for the people. It's something good for the country. I mean, let's face it, in times of crisis, America has a tendency to pull together. I mean, we did with the Second World War, you know, for crying out loud. Yeah. Some of our most dire time is when both sides can put all the differences aside and work with best for the for the common good. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Well, we need to get back to that, don't we? We do. Yep. We do. We need to get back. We do. Yeah. Well, I won't keep you any longer so other people can All right, call so I just wanted to say hi to you. Hi. And tell you that Ronald Reagan played Grover Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Joyce. I got one more question on that. Who was who was it? Coach during the movie. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I don't know. My favorite singer of all time. Your favorite singer of all. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra. Male, no, no. female, 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 female. Oh, female. Singer. Oh, Kitty, oh. Kitty Callen. No. Uh, no. Kitty was my second. Doris Day. Doris Day, correct. Doris Day was with Ronald Reagan co-star in that movie. Right. That's it. Yep. I hadn't thought of that in years. Yes, you're right. Am I smart? Yeah. And I didn't even know the, the movie existed. You are smart. I am so you, cool tonight. You, you are brilliant, Patricia. I, uh, You know, you, you knew Grover well. Cleveland born in Nebraska, and you knew Grover <laughs> Cleveland was... No, it's Grover Cleveland Alexander. You said Grover Cleveland, and I thought you were pulling a switch on me. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Just remember about Taft and the butter. Taft and the butter. (laughs) Taffy butter. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Anyway, well, I'm glad to talk to you all. We need to get a good laugh out of this. You bet. It, All right. It helps helps us move on, I think. Absolutely. Okay. Good Thank night, you. you, you too. Love you both. Love you too, Celeste. Good night, Celeste. Good night. Good night. 714-545-2071. Should we have caramel candy or some butter? You can give us a call. Or salt. What? You know, <laughs> they hit the they hit the kitchen of yesterday, USA. Bring the oh, that. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Bring the ingredient. Patricia, do the cooking. We'll eat it together. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. There we go. Phone's ringing. No, there, Carl. You're on the air. Oh, my goodness. I got on. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. What's going on, Shanti? <laughs> I'm listening to you people. T- well, at least you got off the food kick. <laughs> <laughs> but that's our theme. I was food. Well, I was trying to get in and, and vote for tamales. <laughs> oh. Really? Now, this is a serious question. Is a tamale a holiday food anywhere? Absolutely. Yeah. It is the traditional Mexican Christmas food. I did not know that. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know that. In fact, I was listening to my favorite podcast, and God bless these ladies. They're so cute. And they they, they said, oh, tamales are a great side dish. And I was chuckling because tamales are the main dish. And mm-hmm. just sort of build around them with rice and beans and maybe. You, you, you think you think Shanti because a lot of people don't 
don't are not exposed cases here in California. That's a pretty common known practice that that tamales is a wonderful custom custom. I mean, it's not a. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess somebody in New York maybe they would not be aware of that. I'm exactly, just, exactly. You know. And ladies are from New York. So okay. I, that's why I chuckled. I said, oh, they're so cute. <laughs> 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 no, it's, yeah, nobody, that's not a commonly known thing unless you live here yeah. in Southern California or Mexico. Yeah. It, okay, now you have, you have to educate me one step further. Oh, boy, may I? <laughs> oh, please. I'm serious. I am so ignorant in so many areas, and this is one. Of, what goes into a tamale? Um, the ones that we're used to are made with a heavier, what we call masa. It's a cornmeal corn meal dough that's made from, well, of course, the corn, the ground corn. They use mm-hmm. lard, real lard. And they have some a sweet taste to it in a way. On oh, the, yeah, the sweet ones do have act. They actually have sugar in them. The do they really? Okay, yeah. And they have raisins. Have you ever had the sweet ones, Smalden? No, I I just I just always think the bread. Every time I had them, the bread always seemed a little sweeter to me than than the average. And maybe maybe as Patricia explained to me, maybe because it has less salt, so they balance it with a little more sugar. I I don't know. Yeah, some some are. A little less salty than others. Um, it depends on what place is making it for you. Um, and, and, and now, different tamale could have different size, different things inside it, right? Yes. Nowadays, they have all kinds of tamales. My sister would make tamales with potato and cheese and chili. And if you go to the shops, they'll have two or three different kinds. They'll have ch- uh, chicken. The traditional is pork. Mm-hmm. Um, shredded so beef, have, right? Like a shredded beef kind of thing? Uh, they have shredded beef. Yeah. But, the, yeah, the traditional, I think, is I'm pretty sure it's pork because they would go and slaughter a pig, you know, down in, yeah. in, down across the border. And then uh, they'd spend all day making the tamales. They would be fasting all day. They'd go to midnight mass, come home, and the tamales would be done. <laughs> and that, they have their feast. Mm-hmm. In, in stores like Costco, you can buy them like small little handheld little bars or handheld nuggets kind of thing. And I think, I don't know, Chauncey, maybe you point, is it cooked in a pan normally? I mean, and then I guess you can just cut it up, right? Put it in squares I, or whatever? I'm not sure how Costco makes theirs, but normally they're cooked in a, like a big steamer right. type thing. Okay. Um, there's like water and then there's like a something to keep the tamales from touching the actual water so that the steam rises up. And it takes several hours. And when they're done, oh, my gosh, they're so delicious. Um, And then you just unwrap them because they're wrapped in the corn husk. Um, Actually, when you're making them, this is is the only thing I've ever been able to do as far as making the tamales. I've never actually made them. I've only spread the masa on the leaves. My sister is okay. They are a lot of work. There's so much work. They take, you know, all day. Sometimes more than that, like a day and a half. When you do, if you have it, are are the side dishes normally? I mean, when you... The side dishes are usually your rice and beans. Okay. 
and then because the tamales are very heavy normally, you, you know, because you got all that lard and the heavy meat and the chili and the olives. Sometimes you get olives, and um, now they have vegetarian ones that have the cheese and chili strips, and those are my favorite. But <laughs> <laughs> I have to give up tamales this year because I'm on a diet. So anyway. So the side dishes are, you know, your rice and beans and then your hot chocolate or um, another drink that's made, (coughs) excuse me, uh, with uh, the cornmeal, which is called uh, champorrado. It's a heavy, it's a, yeah, it's a really thick drink. It's kind of cinnamony. It's delicious. Mm. And then another drink, which is atole, and I forget what my mom said that's made with. I think she said it was made with oatmeal. I was confused for years and years. I thought it was the opposite. But anyway, there are two drinks, and they're both, to me, they taste cinnamony. Oh. Um, and then the sweet bread. Thank you. And you're oh, stuffed. I have, I have a, I have a, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're stuffed by the time you have all that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuffed just listening. <laughs> This is good. Now, I I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Walden, no. what is happening to my brain this week? Uh, okay, you, you're thinking about I think food. I got, you're thinking about I got food. sidetracked. Yeah, It'll come back. You're thinking about food. Now, would it, oh be, would it be like uh, like a hot cider, Shanti? Like the cinnamon cider? Like a, uh... um, usually, we just have those three drinks that I mentioned. The cocoa, the... the... Atole and the champorrado, those are the traditional ones. Are they, are they cold? The other two cold? Or are they're they all hot? hot. All hot, yeah. And they're and usually, you know, because it's, well, you know how California is. Usually yeah. it's cool. Yeah. Every once in a while we have our 80-degree Christmases, right? Yeah, okay, sure you do, yeah. <laughs> but we still drink the hot chocolate and stuff like that because it's the tradition. Of course, it's tradition. And now I remember what I was going to say to you and I got sidetracked with all of these ingredients. Depriving yourself of this this year because you're on a diet is not consistent with the holiday spirit. Oh, I know, I know. I'm a I'm a bah humbug this year. <laughs> we have now, to do now, this. Now, Shanti, Shanti, could you just could you just go off the diet for one day? I probably will. I you okay. know I always boast and you know I always claim I'm going to do these wonderful things and I usually fall short, but. Um. Or, or you can follow Patricia's theory. You know, like you have a cookie and you break it in half, all the calories <laughs> fall out. So, so you could say that the same thing about the food. Just break it in half. A half a tamale. I have half. The, you know, the calories will come out. Okay. <laughs> this, this is true. And cookies. If you break the cookies, they all come out. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yes. Well, then you are amazing that you remembered that. Hey, you got great, you got great pep phrases that you need, that we need to market, you know. And that's one of the great ones, Patricia. That. This is another we, and this one I'll go along with. <laughs> <laughs> well, my sister said, well, you can have one tamale. I said, yeah, you're right, I could have one and, and make it a good and one. But, you know, my sister how, how, and my brother, they all scared me straight with their diabetes this year. It's just been really scary. Um, mm. So I'm being, um, you know, I'm, I'm, tr- well, I, I am doing my best to be good. It's not easy. <laughs> no, it isn't. You know, it's a day-to-day thing, and you, you forgive yourself, and then you say, "Well, we're, we're going to do better next time." Well, my mm-hmm. my mom has a theory. 
And I don't know how many... Uh, if it's something she... If it... If it's something... She, she, she decides when to eat. If in other words... If it's a... If, if she cooks something... That's supposed to be really good and she's disappointed. She'll get she will not eat it. Figuring why waste the calories. So uh, you <laughs> know, so I guess that's the theory that all of us fall that way during the holiday season. If it's something that you don't like, saying, Well, I'm gonna skip this and save it for the peppermint ice cream. You know, my you're gonna we got so many calories in a day <laughs> we might as mm-hmm. well save it for something we want. Oh definitely. You know. mm-hmm. Oh definitely. The only problem was when I went up for my our family reunion, there were way too many of those delicious dishes and not enough of the ones to skip. <laughs> oh, my gosh, my cousin made the most When you have to get in line two times to get through everything, you know you're doomed by the end of the day. Just you know, doomed. I was, so, I was proud of myself. I only had one plate of food, but it was a big plate. <laughs> Where is the platter? <laughs> it was a big plate. I mean, you know, it was a good-sized Chinette heavy-duty plate. And it was full. <laughs> Way to go. I mean, those are the kinds of places that, you know, when, when you deprive yourself across the board, and I say deprive in, in the contemporary use of the word, you're depriving yourself of things that you have enjoyed for so long and recognizing that sometimes what we enjoy is not the best thing in the world for us. But when you, when you push it to the wall, you're... It's so it's not right? a, it's not a comfortable environment. Okay, you, okay. You, you, yeah. Now yeah. I have a proper etiquette question here. If you go to a no, fam- you cannot bring the you cannot bring the muffin home. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is probably this is bad. If you go to a family gathering like Shanti did, like mm-hmm. we all have, like it's you know it's the family and everything's laid down in a buffet style. Are you required by etiquette to sample a little bit of everything? That way you don't hurt somebody feeling in the family that you, rather than pick and choose. I mean, you know, Shanti can say, well, I'm on a diet. I'm only going to pick and choose what item. But it, w- would that not be proper etiquette in a family gathering, in a family get-together when, you know, everybody bought something? I No, you don't, I don't eat everybody's food. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to eat everything everybody brings. <laughs> And you and you don't have to tell them I'm on a diet or I you know I I have I'm allergic. Everybody, and I say everybody. That's a that's a very common one. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't have this. I'm allergic. Well, I, okay. I, I've never heard that. <laughs> All you one. have to say is no, thank you. I've never heard that one. That's a new one on me. Oh, I'm allergic. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's that's a pretty popular one. When you I'm say, allergic. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Even just saying I can't have it, then that's enough. At least for me, it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, no, uh-huh. I can't eat that. Sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, no, what, what, have you ever used that that little out clause with something that you really don't like anyway? For me? Oh, Both of you. I use it for pie because I, I, I really don't go for the desserts that much. And whenever people shove the dessert at me, I, oh, I can't have it. Okay, okay, okay. So that's your out clause. Okay, Patricia, clause. have you ever used that, that, goat, that scapegoat yet? No, I I just say no, thank you. Okay. I mean, memory works. <laughs> Walden, you reminded me of that other etiquette rule about when you take something yeah. to a potluck and then you and then you take it back with you. I know. Isn't that something? <laughs> oh, oh! I I tell you, it, oh it just wiped God. me out when I saw my sister-in-law walking out with a half a pie. 
<laughs> I've never seen anything like this before. Good heavens. <laughs> she did. It was a Thanksgiving dinner. And oh, my goodness. My poor uncle, I left him with two pies. I wasn't going to take those back. <laughs> of course not. They were, they were a gift. They are like a house gift, for goodness sakes. But out the bed, and, and, the can of Ready Whip went out, too. <laughs> it, it was just it, just an amazing experience. I, you know, except that we have relatives who do these endearing things. I suppose some we people might get upset. I was just astounded. I had never seen anything like this before. But... Look at all the conversations we'd never have if these people didn't do things like this. Well, it's sort of like my, our, our, our family friends, the Whip Cup. And they're like, you know, five kids in the family, and a lot of them moved up to Oregon. So they would have their big Christmas gathering. And the, the gal who was um, the most unique was the one that raised puppies for a living and things like that. And so... Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to remember all the details. It's been a long time ago. I need to have them tell the story. Anyway, they decided to go have Christmas dinner at her place. Well, they were all at the house for three hours, and she hadn't shown up yet. And then, uh, so she finally got there and started to cook dinner. And then now it's time to open presents. They couldn't find her. She was busy looking for the presents in the house and started to gift wrap them. I mean, she was way behind the schedule. So, it <laughs> Didn't hear done that. <laughs> Every family probably has a story like that, you know. Uh, the, the relative that quite not up to speed, you know. <laughs> a little behind. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pick me. But yeah, there's a, there's a character in every family oh, yeah. or, or two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or 12. Yes. <laughs> I actually have or... one aunt, and this is the aunt that's married to the uncle that I just went to visit. Uh-huh. And when she was getting married, we were at the shower, and her cake, she had a huge cake at the shower, and they had, you know, they chopped around the cake, little tiny pieces, which was fine, but they were, they wanted that whole center of the cake. They had over half the cake left, and they just gave everybody real tiny little pieces. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. And everybody caught on, obviously. <laughs> you knew exactly what was happening. Yeah, and at the wedding... They want. They only served the bride's family first, and my aunts were getting upset. They said, "Hey, you don't serve just one side of the room first. Serve everybody." Oh my goodness! Wow, <laughs> it was really goofy. Okay, there's another marketing opportunity for us, Walden. We will do an etiquette book for an stupid stuff book. that people should already know. Yeah, well, I was thinking that's the title: uh, "Stupid Stuff You Should Already Know." Or I was just thinking about the family member that everybody talks about, and I got to think what trait. And I got thinking when when there's a family member that's very cheap, that's probably <laughs> that's probably the word that gets out. Because I was thinking of, of my great aunt Mabel who. Whose stories are still legendary about her, even though she's been gone for all these decades. Of her, you knew. You knew you were in the good graces with, uh, with Aunt Mabel if you got a brand new Christmas card, because the rest of the family would get used Christmas cards. I mean, that's Aye. How, just like Fibber McGee. <laughs> yes, and then, <laughs> and then her. Her her her. If mom offers her dinners were always interesting. 
there were always leftovers, but every plate had a bite of this or two bites of that. It was never a whole meal. It was all, her leftovers were just whatever she had left over and one or two bites per plate. That's how she showed better. All right, better, now, it, this, begs the, this begs the international question of how do you get leftovers if you didn't have a whole meal? <laughs> They were left over from her personal meal. <laughs> yeah, her meal, I guess, you know. Oh, good heavens. You know. So I got to think, those are, the, I didn't, any any trace like that of being tight, being tight like that probably gets passed down from generation to generation, you know, in terms of storytelling. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> I don't know, I had an uncle who was like that. Well, uh, it, do it, you remember it, stories it, about him? After all these years? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Prove my point. Oh, yeah. But it, it didn't get passed down, and nothing like that was passed on to him. Maybe we needed a DNA test there, too. But what I'm thinking, what, the, the, what he did, the, the, those stories got passed down to different generations. Oh, was still, oh I remember when oh. Uncle so-and-so. I got it. I got That's it. Okay. You know. I got. It. I misunderstood. Yes, that's okay. When I you said passed down from generation, I thought you meant like genetics. Genetics. It was a genetically generated problem. Yeah. And my goodness, he he lent a whole new meaning to cheap. Oh gosh. Mm mm. Mm mm. So Shanti, are you done with school for the rest of the year? What the what the uh, Shanti schedule at the moment? One more week, and I'm hibernating. <laughs> Ooh, how long do you get to hibernate? I get six whole weeks. <gasps> I'm not oh, wow. <laughs> and what are you going to do with those six weeks? I'm going to hibernate. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not hibernate sure. is a very honorable business to be in. <laughs> so at this week, it'll be nothing but lab, lab time for everybody getting... Getting your tech done, or what? what? Final, yeah, this is finals week, and um, the last couple of weeks I've been bringing in Monday morning chocolate just to keep people going because it's, you know, down to the wire and the stress is high. But um, I don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, to the, uh, this week is since it's finals, I'm I'm gonna hand out stress balls, <laughs> little Christmas gift. <laughs> It's something I'm <laughs> that's a that's a cute one. They yeah, are, the, the ones that you squeeze. There's two the, holes and the smaller ones that you squeeze to relieve stress. Yes. Yes. Okay. Are there any left that open at 24 hours a day anymore, or they all got regular time now? How, how do they handle? No, no, 24 work? hours at our college. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you don't want to be out after dark in downtown San Diego. I don't know about downtown. Uh, Costa Mesa, is that where you're at? Yeah, Costa Mesa. Not too bad. Like down yeah. Oh, that's good. We got a little too many Elvis Presleys. Of I see. <laughs> I see. Napoleon Bonapartes and stuff like oh, that. Oh, gee. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little scary. I just rode the bus with a really obscene Elvis Presley yesterday morning. It was kind of scary. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, dear. The joys of downtown San Diego, or the joys of San Diego. <laughs> now I, that really surprises me, mostly because I don't know squat about any place. <laughs> because <laughs> I am, 
Oh, I am. I have so many. I need to get out more, Walden. Are you in a suburban type area, uh, Patricia? It's well. I I guess not. I guess not. I'm in a, an apartment community, and there are a lot of them around. I would Meyer, not know. I would not call us the suburbs. Is Fort Myers considered a bedroom community to anything, or how? how no. No, it's a, we we have many half-year residents, and that doesn't constitute a, a bedroom community. But I guess the effect is the same. These are the people we call snowbirds. In the winter time, they come down here, and then in the summertime, they go back up north, and. It's um, it's a challenge sometimes, but no, we we do not we do not have a bedroom community. Mm. I, it, when you say bedroom community, it's it's usually because you're parked against or very close to a major urban area, right? right. And the bedroom community is more countrified. Right. We are not countrified where I'm I am living. Used to be, but not anymore. So no. So, Sean, do you have San Diego changed in the last few years? Or is it pretty much the same? From um, it's it's gotten a little bit um, a little less safe because of the uh, the growing homeless population that are untreated mm-hmm. mental health patients, which is very mm-hmm. and a lot of them are coming from other places in the country. Yeah, I I, I know. I mean, it, it's. The coast, we have, we have, we have a lot of them just because of the, the climate factor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember someone in the Chamber of Commerce telling me one time that our homeless population burgeons in the winter time, and I said, "Well, you know, I knew that." He said, "Well, it's a whole lot easier to be homeless in Florida than it is in New York City," and. It's true. The the winters are so harsh up there, and then to have people sleeping on the streets, somehow getting to Florida is a, a, a more healthful destination than anything else. So, yeah, our our homeless population, it, it just breaks my heart that we even have one, but uh, it, well, it does well, it well, does really well, increase significantly in the wintertime. Well, it's sad to me to think about this is, we we know the homeless is such a major issue in our country, mm-hmm. and a lot of churches when when they when they have just a sm- maybe there's a lot of people away at a church and they just have maybe a, a one woman as a secretary. She fe- a lot of times they sort of lock themselves in their own room because they feel very uncomfortable if there's a lot of homeless people visiting the church yeah. looking for items. And I always yeah. think for well, that I can see why she can feel uncomfortable if she's the only mm-hmm. one there. But it's, it's, yeah. it's sad to think that that mental illness and everything is such a yeah. an issue. Uh, People who need help aren't getting it. Right. They're just not getting it. And in in a country like the United States, it's a shameful situation. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And uh, it is good to see. Um, Communities like uh, Los Angeles is stepping up. They're doing new things, trying to get more people in housing and more people treated, which is great. And uh, I forget, I've heard other places in other states like uh, Washington and Utah, which is, that's encouraging to see. Well, 
Mm-hmm. My my dad has a great theory, and I think I think we need to send it to the current political environment. He thinks because we have shut down so many military bases over the last ten to fifteen years, why don't we move the homeless into these facilities? They're already up and running. They're already there. That's what he thinks. We we should try to help the the homeless communities to move them on these closed military bases where we have all these buildings and things. It would know? be a beginning. I, I like that. I you know, I think that that's a very practical idea to me, that, that, to, to use what we already have. Mm-hmm. You know? So. Anyway, this is Yesterday USA. We'd like to encourage that to be sent off to the uh, Congress and the Senate. You guys can work on that for <laughs> us. But we're, Shanti, Patricia, and Walden will make that our... Uh, Picks for the day. Work on that. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> oh well, it's been fun talking with you guys. I haven't laughed so much, and I really needed a good laugh. So. Good. <laughs> oh, good. Good. We love to laugh. <laughs> and I will let someone else get in. All right, Shanti. See what they're going to talk about. Perfect. Alrighty. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Tamales. Can you imagine? This is the only show in town we talk about tamales, cookies, losing calories, and everything else. And salmonella and eggs. That's right. 714-545-2071. No so strange about this show. 2071. Here we go again. Oh, gee, Willikers. Yes, Walden. Yes, Walden. (laughs) you're amazing it's just when you get to numbers you're in kind of shaky territory but as a rule you can speak 10 sentences and have them in 20 packages because they come in pieces (laughs) and everybody knows what you're talking about I can't I, I don't think I can count on one hand the numbers of times I had to reply to an email asking you to say something in a, in a different way. It, everybody knows. Uh-huh. Oh, that's Baldwin. <laughs> oh, that's Baldwin. Okay. It is. How did you know? <laughs> well, he stops in the middle of a sentence. There's only one person I know who does that. So you're the winner. I, I am. I'm, am I unique that way? Are you what? Am I unique that way? <laughs> Let me count the ways. <laughs> Hello there, Colin. You're on here. Hello. Hi, Fred. Oh, Fred. How are you? This is Fred in Vermont. How are you doing? Good. It's How are you doing? Good. Yeah. How's the weather? Cold. Uh-oh. Cold, cold, cold. How cold? cold. I thought Dan sent an email that he thinks it, it, uh, uh, Mother Nature still needs to wait another two more weeks. You you agree with that, Fred, or not? Uh, Mother Nature what? Needs to wait two more weeks. It's not it's not December, it's not winter yet. He thinks that Mother Nature uh, is too early. Oh, I don't agree with that. What's <laughs> <laughs> what's the said somebody needs. He said somebody needs to talk with her, uh-huh. and I said, yeah, and I have not been, we have not been on, we have not been on speaking terms for a very long time. Do you hear an echo? Nope, we're good. No. Okay, because I can hear my voice echoing back, but. Uh, well, 
two of you is okay for it. That's fine. You know? No, we're not too bad. We're eight degrees right now. Eight? That's not too bad? No, that's not too bad. I thought, I thought we're below zero. You're, oh, dear. Okay. Uh, now, me, who's never been in below zero territory, can you, once it's at eight degrees, when it's a minus ten, can you tell the difference? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, when you get below zero, it's, it's like, it's bitter cold. Bitter, bitter. I mean, and eight but, degrees is not? But, <laughs> well, eight, eight degrees is pretty bad, too. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, actually, anything, anything in the single digits and lower is really nasty. So what the what the coldest? Well, how wind chilled? Nothing, Fred. You know, not all that other stuff. What the coldest has gotten for you in your there in Vermont? Okay. Uh, without wind chill. Yeah. Minus what? Minus what? Question then, how do you get out of bed when it's a minus ten degree? I mean, what you don't want to. That's why I keep asking Bob up in Wisconsin the same question. If they turn off the heat or turn it way down, and he said, "Oh yeah, well, you know, I just get up and turn the heat back on, and then get back into bed for a while." Well, excuse me, (laughs) I would find a way to get a very long stick that reached the thermostat, and I would not get out of bed. My goodness. My goodness. Yeah, then when it gets like, uh, uh, like when you get a storm and it gets cold and, and then you lose your power, mm-hmm. you get, your heater's got nothing to blow the air up, you know, through your furnace. That gets really bad. <laughs> then it's like, oh, and then you don't want to get out of bed. You can put like 40 covers over you and you... Right. <laughs> makes a, makes chamber pot look more appealing. You probably guys don't know this from being from California, Walden, but yeah. we learn as kids, you know how you learn certain things growing up to survive. We learn as kids that if you put your whole head under the blanket, your breast will warm you up. Uh, that makes you sense. also kill yourself with carbon dioxide <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and no oxygen. Oh. So, of course, it's going to make you feel warm because you're halfway out the door. Okay, okay. now, this would, this would make sense to me. Do people take their sweeping bags and just sweep in those in a bed in Vermont? Or to get them? It. I don't. Do uh, have, you know of anybody that would? Well, yeah, I've known people who have. Uh-huh. Uh, because sweeping, so sweeping bags are warmer. Right. You know, um, but I like, I just like heavy, heavy blankets. A lot of mine, I'm good. Uh, and I just, just hope to hell you don't have to get up in the bathroom the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, it makes chamber pots look more appealing in the, in the modern days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't imagine back in the day when you had to go to the house. Oh, gosh, can, can you imagine they're going outside to the bathroom facility outside? Oh, man. No. No. Makes you wonder if anybody ever got lost, right? Uh, uh, yeah, boy, oh. I, 
I was just thinking about a way to say that politely. You're right. Uh, Until my eyeballs turned yellow. No, hey. no, no. I am not going outside. I was just thinking about the, I remember the kid re- going through the Little House in Prairie book and how the dad, because the snowstorm was so bad, they had the ropes from one house yeah. to the barn. That way they could sort of, you know, because they had to go take care of the animals, so they had to figure yeah. out how to get there. Well, that's what you're talking. I, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that, so you're talking like blizzards where you can't even see right right in front of you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, blinding, you know, conditions. But, we've had, you know, we've had some bad snowstorms. I, I, you know, we've had some pretty big ones. Um... Well, I didn't realize this. I, I was reading this. You know, if, I guess it was very common in Jesus' time that many times people would bring the animals in with them in the same living quarters. That way, when it when it was so bad, you had both people and animals living underneath the mm-hmm. same roof. Mm. Well, I can see that too. If they're valuable to them, you the animals dying. You yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But they also generate heat. Yeah, there you go. That's the other. That's the other trick is uh, you put you know three like for kids. You put three or four kids in the same bed together. Yeah, that, Body heat uh, going. Yeah, that was very common. Yeah. You know, where people would sleep yep. together just for body heat. Oh yeah, it, it works. I mean, but I I just feel bad for people who. Who, uh, I mean, I I can't turn my heat up very high. I I, I have it on like sixty five, which is comfortable. But I feel bad for people who don't have money for their heat and stuff and weather like this. You have yeah. you have much of a homeless community, or is it because the weather's so bitterly cold, the homeless community have moved away? Uh no, they're still here. They're, 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 it's even worse. Just like the last lady that called. Yeah. We had a uh, home here uh, in my town, actually, that employed hundreds of people in the Bay Trade School. And about 20, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, they closed it. And all those people were put into homes, supposedly. Yeah. And a lot of them were now out on the streets. A lot of them were mentally retarded. Um. And there is no place for him to go. My brother, who used to be a police officer in town, um, would say that time of year that you would see where people would just one guy you know, they go to a call and there'd be a guy walking up down the street with a brick breaking friggin' people's windows on their cars or doing something to get arrested, basically. Oh, I see. Okay. So they go to jail. Get yeah. One place, mm-hmm. a day. and and it's warm, yeah. Yeah, and they would pur- purposely get themselves arrested, and get stuck in jail. Mm-hmm. Well, I I know out here when it gets too cold, like in the thirties, we o- we open a lot of homeless shelters. That way, we the the people who want to sleep outside. Do you have? We have a shelter, but it's it's it's, it's not enough. It's uh. It's too small. Yeah, and, and, you got, and it's a one night thing. You're, you, they don't open it up until a certain time at night, and it's first come, first serve. And then you're out at 8 o'clock in the morning, and then whoever gets there the next night gets there. Um, there's not a lot of 
permanent housing for these yeah. people. Yeah. And that, that was one of the big things. We got a big thing going on right now. There's a big debate. Rutland wants to take in like 100 or 200 Syrian refugees. Right. The mayor wants to take them in. Right. And some people are, you know, people are for it. And there's other people that are saying, well, you know, we got people sleeping under a bridge downtown. You can't put them in houses. You want to bring more people in. And it's, a, it's a big argument right now. Um, you, you need to do the right thing in two arenas, but you can only pick one. Yeah. You only have the resources maybe to take care of one. Yeah. yeah. No, I, mean, I, I can understand both sides. I really can. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I hate to turn these people away. They, they come from their houses have been bombed. They got no place to stay. Nobody wants them. You know, they need a place to live. I, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, one I, of I, the I, other I, challenges I, with some of the homeless people, especially men, is yeah. that they're they're in the streets because they cannot cope with the society in general, and they refuse to go to shelters. They would prefer to stay on the streets and be cold than to go to shelters. And in New York City in particular, that has been a really terrible challenge when we went into some bitterly, bitterly cold uh, weather last winter and into the beginning of the year. The shelters, um, Mayor de Blasio, de Blasio opened extra shelters, and the assignments for the police officers were get those people into shelters. They're going to die in the streets. And there were some that they just could not, they, it, it, and of course they can't just pick them up and move them. It's, they're within their rights to say, no, I want to stay here. And, um, you know, some of them died. And so having people refuse to go to shelters for their reasons, they might not make sense to us, but to them it makes perfect sense, and they they do not willingly go to shelters. They they just don't want to do it. It's it, they they can't deal with it. Yeah. My mom read a book about three or four years ago, and it was like a family who there was a way of life for them to be homeless, and all three kids went to college and everything. And finally they found housing for their mom and dad. But eventually all the three kids went to college and were successful. Mom and, de- mom and dad decided they wanted to go back in the, in the, in, back on the streets. Mm-hmm. Wow. Perfect example. That just took, you know, it, it's, just, it's hard to imagine that people would choose that lifestyle after, mm-hmm. you know, have, have that ability if they still want yeah. to be on the streets. Yeah, pull yeah. out of it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, Do you remember that's that, the, the, the Leave It to Beaver episode where he uh, took the homeless dude in and gave him a bath? And <gasps> Yes. Wasn't that a great? That was a great episode. It, it was great. Well, I think every episode of Beaver was good, but yeah. some of them were, were some of them were exceptional. Yes, that was one of the exceptional things. They raised a little boy to to be sensitive to other people, and, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, uh, and here he probably he got in trouble for it. Did he get in trouble for that? Yes, the father was starting to get him in trouble for it, and then they realized that actually what he was doing was probably a good thing. And mm-hmm. But I don't, they originally weren't very weren't impressed with it, no. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yes, their dad was pretty stern. Yes. 
you know, it, it's all over the place. You see it everywhere. It's sad. It, uh, you know, I don't know. I feel bad for these people. I can't imagine, especially like a night like like tonight, not having one place to stay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't even imagine. I, you know, I don't mm-hmm. even want to go out to my car to get something out of it. So I'll sleep out all night. Um, hmm. yeah. Not why I hate the Right, the closest I've ever come is uh, I remember one one spring weekend. It was enough for me. I was probably I was young at the time too. I was actually it was a fall weekend because it was homecoming weekend. I went back to New Hampshire to my college to uh, go to homecoming, and I didn't make arrangements to get a hotel room. Oh, oh. And I got over here and I couldn't find this thing. And I basically slept in my truck one night. I, it wasn't, it wasn't, the, it was cold, but I could turn the, turn the truck on, let it run a little while, let it warm up. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, this wasn't like eight degrees out. I mean, it was probably dropped to like 30, 35 or something. Yeah. Um, cold enough. But well, I could have driven the two hours home if I'd wanted to. It was not. It wasn't like these people were. Yeah, so you had options. They don't have options, yeah. Right. Uh, that's the closest I've ever been to. It's the closest I ever want to get to. I, got mm-hmm. home, I woke up the next morning. I came home. I was like, I'm not doing this again. No, that's why another night in my truck. I'm out of here. <laughs> so how, yeah. how about the light this week? How, how, did, how did you work on your... your oh, I... Uh, Thing. I did something else here the other day that I'm kind of pretty proud of. Okay. I guess. I mean, I pulled into Hannaford to go do some shopping, and generally what I do is, like I said, I, I'm in a great town. I know people all over. I can always get help getting my chair out of the truck. I, I just didn't want to wait. And I pulled into the parking lot and the handicapped spot, like really close to the store. And I walked, probably the first time I walked yet, into, into the store to get into the cart. Uh, probably oh, 40 yards. 50 yards. 40, 40 yards, maybe. All by yourself? Yeah. Wow. Good job. One lady saw me hobbling and was like, let me go get the cart for you? And I said, no, nope, I got this. I'm walking in. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was slow going when I got there. Almost, My goodness. Almost lost my balance once, but my balance is really You are running your wings every day. Yeah. Yeah. Just pushing through the pain. Now, um, my steps are getting bigger at therapy, like I said. Right. Oh, gosh, that's great. One thing I, I didn't realize, you know, me being a California kid, Ken Goff earlier this afternoon was talking about stepping on clear glass, you know, clear ice that you can't. You don't know it's there, and, you, and he generally falls at least once a year. I'm assuming that could be an issue too, right? For any guy, be careful. I hate ice. Yeah, yeah, I hate any uh, anything that causes me to fall is not a good thing because my bones are a sin, a sin, sin, sin. Yeah. So it's like an 80 year old falling; they, they can just snap very easily. Obviously. Yeah. Um. So I, I try to avoid that kind of thing. Like, like I use, 
dirt and sand on it because I use so much in the winter to make sure I don't fall. I go overboard with it. I'll put a lot of sand out when it snows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not, not taking a chance of that. Where do you get your sand, Fred? We get it from a couple of different spots. There's a The town has a big supply that they use for the roads and stuff. They don't mm-hmm. people come get buckets. And then the, the Lions Club that I'm part of delivers sand to people. Uh, so I got one big bucket out there right now, and then the Lions Club brought me a small bucket later, earlier today. So I'm good for a while. Uh, that's pretty much where I get it. Is it town supply or mm-hmm. the Lions Club will bring me some? Uh, I like the town stuff because they got salt mixed in with it. Well, that's what I'm going to uh, ask you. Do you, you, you keep salt around just in case you want to yeah. on, on ice? Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, sand works for the gripping ice, but it doesn't help melt it at all. Uh, whereas the salt will actually melt the ice, uh, which is nice. Uh, and you can buy that. There's some stuff in Amishad you can buy that. The salt type of salt that works really good. You can mix it in with your sand. So, um, is there a degree where the salt does not work? I don't know. I, I wouldn't know that. I use it all the time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because there, there is a temperature limit, and I don't remember what it is. But even if it's you, know, you reach a particular temperature, and the the melting power of the of the salt is just at its yeah. threshold. You uh-huh. can't go any further. So do I, I need to look that up, don't I? Yeah, I'm not sure what that would be. That might be I, tough. I throw it down anyway, figuring when it warms up, it'll be there to melt it. So. Well, it'll, be, it'll, be frozen, it'll be frozen salt, though. It, it might take a while for, for it to dissolve. Uh, that could be. That's true. But I, uh, sand works really well for, like, uh, just getting your grip and stuff, but you talk, you know, sometimes when it's an ice storm, there's nothing but a sheet of ice. Okay, antifreeze for a car. Is there a, uh, point, mm-hmm. is there a point where it doesn't work? When it gets too cold, mm-hmm. no matter what, it's not going to bo- It's not gonna. That's got to be awful cold, though. That would have to be awful cold. Uh-huh. Uh, I would think. Um... Again, I, I don't know. I'm no mechanic, but um, that stuff's pretty rugged. Yeah. Uh, Do they still worry about people pipe breaking? You know, have they figured a way not to have that be an issue? Or still? Well, you mean for like uh, water? Water. Water. Like freezing and stuff right. like that. Right. And your best thought, one thing is to keep keep water dripping. So, like, uh, it, um, if it's really, really, really nasty cold out, I'll keep, I'll keep, like, a little bit of warm water dripping in my, my sinks downstairs. Keep it running. Mm-hmm. Instead of shutting it off. Yeah. Um, and that'll help protect it from freezing and clogging and, and exploding. The other thing, too, is open up your... Like, I, I've got pipes that come uh, underneath my sink up to the ground, so I'll open up the 
warm that, that part of the pipe up a little bit. Yeah, the best thing to do is just keep the water running a little bit. And a lot of times, the, the, the water department will tell us, you know, keep the water running tonight. Or, or mm-hmm. But, so you, do you get free water, or they still bill you for the water? Oh, they still bill you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> No. Oh. All right. Here are your freeze points okay. and, and your thresholds. Okay. Rock salt, which is sodium, uh-huh. yep. sodium chloride, uh-huh. that that stops working be- somewhere between 15 and 20 degrees. Uh-huh. So you don't get a heck of a lot of life out of that. And according to this, and it looks like a pretty official site, um, the because the sodium chloride stops working at such a high level, I mean, 15 to 20 degrees, for, and that's, that's not a, a huge that's number, They've, you will also get a melt, and then at night it will refreeze and melt and refreeze and melt and refreeze instead of just making sure it stays melted. And that's what burrows down into your driveway cracks and will actually heave your driveway. Okay. All right, now the, the calcium chloride will keep it will be fine until 26 degrees below zero that's pretty good so your calcium chloride is the one that that uh, will work harder for you i don't know how they measure up in price i'm i'm assuming because salt is so cheap that the sodium chloride is much less expensive than the calcium chloride but anyhow those are those are your temperature thresholds boy am i good i wonder what they use on the roads then that's a good question. Probably calcium chloride. Well, no, I don't think so. Isn't that interesting? All right, now I have to go look so at something what, what, else. Okay, before you do, what's the second de- degree point? I said 15 to 20 for the salt. What was the other one? What the calcium that? chloride, 26 below zero. Wow, okay. Oh, we'll work no. down to 26 below zero. Now that's good. That's good. That's, that's good. good stuff. Yeah. So this is interesting because if it works all the way down to 26 degrees below zero, you don't need to reapply as frequently as you would with the sodium chloride. So maybe they balance each other out. You have to use twice as much sodium chloride to the calcium chloride, two times the cost. Well, maybe. Right. So I don't right, know causes have... our cars to rust. I don't know how. But I've been told that's what causes, that's why Florida cars don't rust or have no other rust issues that we have because cause of salt we of use course. on our road. It, it, it kicks up when you run over a road like that. You can wash your the surface of your cars, but very few people can get under them to rinse out what has kicked up from their streets. Well, so, what yeah. I'll do is I'll, I'll do what they call, uh, what I can afford. I, I, didn't, I didn't have it done this year, unfortunately. It's it's a it's a coating like an oil coating. Yeah, an Are oil you? coating, not not the Z-Bart, but the an oil coating. Yeah. Yeah, it's a. What was the term? That would work. Uh, I can't remember what it's undercoating. Mm-hmm. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to protect the car from getting rough. Yeah. Well, I don't know if the oil takes the salt back. Right. Hello. But yeah, they don't, they uh they use a 
lot of salt around here. No pepper. Too much. No pepper, huh? What's that? <laughs> no pepper. No pepper. No pepper. No. Um, okay. I I actually don't mind driving in the winter. Uh, I just don't like the the going out to um, clear off your car two hours where you got to go somewhere. That's that's the part that's so fun. I imagine I imagine you swear a few times, right? Oh yeah. I hope I remember one time, and this was. This was a spring snowstorm. It was a, it was freak. It was it was like I'm a, I'm in a fantasy baseball league, and on the way to the draft, it was like 50 degrees out. The sun was shining. It was like a spring day. We were talking last week of March, um, and go to the go to the baseball draft, and we come back outside three hours later. It's like a blizzard. The roads are covered, it's icy as heck, um, and I get almost all the way home, and I've got, like a quarter of a mile from my house, there's this big hill, and it's got two, it's, it's consists of two sharp corners, you know, one going to the left, and it curves back around to the right, and I, I got to the top of that hill, Again, it was like it was like winter. It was like right in the middle of a blizzard. And I, I, I don't know where the storm came from, but I put my car all the way down low and stopped at the top of the hill, shifted it all the way to low, and went. Now maybe I didn't go to low. Maybe I went to, went to second or something. But I came down around that second corner, and I lost. It was the most helpful feeling I've ever had in my life. Thank God there was no other cars coming. Mm-hmm. You know, I went on the other side of the road, did like a, I mean, the car was out of control. It was sliding on ice. Not, nothing I could do. I did everything you're supposed to do about steering against the skin and the whole bit, and nothing. And I ended up shooting into, like, the, the, the driving the parking lot of this car. If, if it had gone straight a second earlier, I would have hit the building. And if there had been a mm. car coming, the other side, the other way, you would have T-boned me. But thank God none of that was happening. That was scary. That was probably the scariest I've ever had. Then I had another incident. This was years ago. Same thing. I was coming around the corner. I was going slow. It was a sunny day. It had snowed the night before. And I was going the back road to a friend's house. And they apparently hadn't you saw on this road or found it, but it was still so covered. And I come around the corner, and again, going, I wasn't going fast, 15, 20 miles an hour maybe, and it, it started sliding, and I, and I couldn't steer out of it, and I basically scraped the snow off and got buried in a snowbank up to like halfway up to the windows on, on, the, on, the, on the car. The car was basically buried in a snowbank. And thank God I had a friend with me, and he was able to dig himself out and flag down a truck, put us on a chain and pull us out. Wow. Uh, but yeah, that was... That was a scary moment. I bet it was. Um, yeah, it, it, 
all the times in the winter though you hear of you know bad accidents and stuff. The worst is black ice. So I've never had that. Never, I've never experienced that. I've talked to people who have. You know, the roads can look bare. Mm-hmm. Driving along, yeah, and then you just hit something, you don't even see it. Then you just hit it, and you just start sliding. I got caught on that one time, just one time, on my way to work, and I had to go over a mountain. Sheer drop on one side, no guardrails, no nothing, oh, and yeah, everything was fine. Was. You know, it, it was cold out, and I knew that. However, going up, it, because it, it was a, a slow but steady grade up in order to get over the mountain, and I got about three-quarters of the way up, and there I was on ice. Couldn't see it, and I was on ice, and I had to make a decision. Either keep going, because I, I was probably maybe less than a quarter of a mile from the top of the of the mountain, yeah. and uh, and then know that I would I would quickly on the other side because the other side was warmer than the valley, and quickly be okay, or figure out a way to turn around on ice. And I opted to keep going, and I'm, you know it, it was fine. But boy, that I, I just hit that, and I thought, oh my! I could not see it coming, as you say. It's ice on the road, and, and it looks bare. It looks fine. Looks just like the stuff you just left. But wow! So when, boy, you're, on, when you're driving on it, is it slippy? I mean, that, there's yeah, no it's grip. it's driving on ice. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, yeah. You just can't see it, but it is driving on ice. That's what my brother used to say. Driving on ice is no problem. Just don't, as long as you don't have to turn, you don't have to stop, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, the thing is, you go to turn or something, and, and then the car doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. You know, that, boy, that's a scary feeling. Yeah. So I just kept going. It, was, it seemed to be the safer of the two options, and I think it was. Yeah. yeah turning turning around with no railing on a, on a sheer drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wasn't willing to do that. Here, that it's it's only like three thousand one hundred, maybe not even that high. A bad memory. It might be twenty. It's between twenty six hundred and three thousand feet, and but it's the same thing. It's it's a very windy, curvy road with very few guardrails, all the way up the top. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it, when a snowstorm hit. It, you know, they get they get twice as much up top as we get down below. Um, and if you, you, you get going up, if you're going up over that hill, and the thing about it is, I see it stop at people that know how to drive in snow, so they're trying to stop right in the middle of the hill. That is the worst. If you're going up a hill or something, you, you want to mm-hmm. quit. You know, the last thing you want to do is stop. Um, but, but of course, if they stop, you've got to stop. And then you're done. You're, you're yes. Done. <laughs> yeah. You know, then, then you're in a real fix. Uh, but I, oh, I hate it. I, I don't like driving in bad weather. And that's, that's what I like about my job. You know, I'm a tutor, so the roads are bad. They don't have school. I'm not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. I'll just hibernate. 
Well, what would you do, Fred, when you get called a student on the phone to say, let's just do it over the phone? What's that? When you get called a kid and get do it over the phone? Oh, no. Uh-huh. No, we're not, we're not doing nothing today. Uh, roads are bad, we're done. I mean, uh, if it, uh, I've, had, I've had to go into bad weather before because uh, I, I, the student I work with um, is later than the day. So if they get the kids to school and then the weather hit, sometimes I have to go in anyway. But a lot of times I won't because the student's going to drive to me too. So I've got to take that into consideration. You know, I want him driving 10 miles on, this, on these roads. Um, so a lot of times I'll cancel anyway. Like Monday, for example, we had a, a storm hit, and I don't know why every other place around us had a two-hour delay, but Otter Valley didn't. And at 8.30 in the morning, they had like 5% of the school was there. People couldn't get in. Mm. Pluses couldn't get it. Couldn't get, get the kids in and all this stuff. So my kid called me at 10:30. And he's like, "I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm staying right here. I mean, hour to get in, and I'm not going to go to Pittsburgh and come back from Athlas on these roads." And, and I said, "That's fine." I talked to my supervisor. She said, "That's fine. We just we just canceled." And actually, by 1 o'clock, it was fine. Um, but that's how quickly it can change, too. You know, the roads can be bad, and and they get out there, they plow, but then the weather warms up. And, and they're fine a couple hours. Really, they turn on you. Like mm. So discouraging. But, yeah, it's... Uh, I can tell Patricia. I, I can uh, tell. I can tell Patricia homesick from for those days. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that well, just from the sigh, huh? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Last year, first one I've ever been on my whole life. Grew up in Vermont. Never went on a sleigh ride before. Right. And I won it last year. I think I told you guys about that. You won it. I went on one last year. Well, tell, you the on audience. A last year. Yeah, tell the audience last year. I mean, maybe the audience don't know the story. I basically grew up in Vermont, and I kept thinking, you know, how foolish is it to, I know I'm not a winter person, but I've grown up in the state of Vermont and never been on a sleigh ride. So I went on one. Um, and it was cool. And, and I, I loved it. And like I said, I'm not a cold person, and I'm not, but I'll, I'm, I'm going to do that again. Sure. And it was at night. So, uh, but it, it, I loved it. Yeah, out in the woods. Um, it sounds like something Patricia should do. It sounds like, it sound like she's on Patricia's bucket list of things to do. What? Go on a sway ride at night? In a bikini. Yes. Yeah. In a bikini. Oh, how, how wonderful. I went on a toboggan ride one night on a golf course. Oh, but that was fun. Was that a lot of fun? Oh, it was wonderful until we hit the sand trap. <laughs> Came up out of there like a rocket. And 
I foolishly did not jump. I held on, and my gosh, when we came down, I think I probably broke a, um, a vertebrae in my back. Oh my gosh, it it was it was a crushing blow. I could not walk straight for weeks and weeks. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It was not a lot of fun. So oh. no, I don't want to go sleigh riding. <laughs> not, Where are not you? With, not, especially not in a bikini. But yeah, no, that was. That it, it, it was the night. It was the night part because we could not see well enough to recognize that we were coming up on a depression. And should have realized, I mean, you, you do that yeah. on a golf course, for goodness sakes. And it was, there were some pretty substantial hills on this golf course because it was in New York. And, uh, my gosh, boom, the end. No, not at dark. I'll go in the daytime. Right, oh, that would be fun, too. Uh, it'd be warmer. That's for sure. Fred, when you get between 32 and fun. zero. Nice. I mean, Right, so. I don't, I don't want to hold him. Don't make me do this. I thought, you, I thought you would stay home and make the hot chocolate for people to do I that. will do that in a heartbeat. I'll even make cookies. Chocolate chip? Sure. Oh. Whatever yeah. you like. It's an experience. Yeah, Patricia, just think what you're missing. Yeah, it's an experience. I have. Hey. I'll be home with the hot chocolate. <laughs> it's more fun than a hayride. I've never been on one of them. Have you? Oh, yeah, I've done hay rides before. Yeah. Those are fun. So what did you, what did you do on a hay ride? Oh, a heck of a lot. Just in the hay. Bundle, bundle of hay, and there's a guy, a bunch of people sitting there with you. And well, what happens if you have hay fever? Uh, you shouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, now Fred, this is this is the practical me coming out. If you're sitting on a pile of hay in the back of a wagon that is probably knocking your teeth loose with people you can have a conversation with, why can't you have that conversation in your living room? It's not as romantic. It's not outside riding around and riding all over the woods in a a wagon. It's not as romantic, Patricia. It's fun. It's not as anything. Oh, dear. Sing songs and you just have a good time. And the kids love it. Watching the kids react is cool. See, you're missing all the you're missing all the scenery as you're going by, Patricia. You also like you're going I, to, if I go out there, Walden, who's going to make the cookies and the hot chocolate? Hmm. Also, these are done like my orchards and stuff. So you travel through the orchard, you see all the apples and yeah, they're fun. They're fun. Okay, you can have my seed. I'll make the cookies. <laughs> well, I've got, let's see, hey, hey, the sleigh ride was a blast, though. I, I went last year and I loved it. So I'm going to have to do that again. Um, what I haven't done in ages is gone uh, sledding. And I don't think I would dare do that again. I'm getting too old for that, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, Fred. I just do not know. But we don't have enough snow anymore either. It's global warming stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I can. I, I, people say it hasn't changed, but I, I know when I was a kid, we used to get so much snow. By Christmas vacation every year, 
we the cell banks were so high that we would have to pull out in the middle of the road to see if there's any cars coming. Some people them plowing the snow and putting up on the mm-hmm. snow road, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. it wouldn't melt the spring. And now, I mean, here it is. What December tenth? Yeah. And all mm-hmm. the snow that we got last week was yep. melted. It's gone. We're brown again, brown and dead. Mhm. Uh, there's like nothing out there. And every every Christmas vacation, there I can remember we used to dig snow tunnels. And you need a lot of snow to dig snow tunnels. You need at least three, four feet of snow on the ground. Oh, sure. You know? And good packing stuff. You don't want the fluffy stuff. Yeah, exactly. The good stuff. That's right. We used to take buckets of water and throw it on the crappy stuff to make it good stuff. <laughs> Jeez. We hear stories like this today, Fred. <laughs> it, 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 it's amazing so many kids survived these kinds of things. Oh, I Some know. of them did, you know, with the tunnels collapsing and stuff. But anything that that really was a dangerous thing to be doing, when you sit back as an adult and evaluate snow tunnels, really, um, it 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 was not a particularly safe thing for kids to do. But we all survived. It was so much fun. Yeah, we would mm. make little robes and dig out little robes and stuff. Yeah. It was it was a blast, and we used to go. Well, like I said before, we used to go sledding, and we used to go when in the summer. And, and and I I can't remember this. We weren't any more than eight, nine, ten years old. There'd be five or six of us. We'd ride our we rode our bike by ourselves up to the brim, up to the state park, which like five miles up the road. And we would spend the day swimming and playing ball. No adults. Whatsoever. Yeah. You know, um, the rider bikes back. Hmm. And do that today. Yeah, I mean, if you did that today, the state probably would have taken us away from our parents. Or you would have been kidnapped first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we used to go sledding on our street. In, in New York, the, when we were kids growing up, we were on a street that had a fairly high hill. Not, I mean, it was not super, but it was great for sleigh riding because you'd really pick up speed on the way down and you could go almost all the way to the end of the street. But the snow plows would come through. And by the way, it's sodium chloride in the, in the snow plows. And see, I did do my homework. We would, we would come down, and it was really great. Stuff, but when the snow plows came through, we would have these big patches of pavement showing through the snow. Well, you can't have a, a sled on something like that. You'd break your neck because you'd stop short and you'd keep going. The sled, the sled would be behind you, and you'd still be flying down the hill. So we would, we, we would spend time before we started sledding. We would scout out the places where the pavement was showing through, which is what the snowplows really wanted to do for everybody, and we would get buckets of snow and pack it back on the patches so we could we could do sledding fairly safely. I like it. The heck with the drivers. I like it. <laughs> we have a hill here that they used to block off for the kids. Oh, how neat. Yeah. And, the, and they could come down, and it was pretty steep, um, and a sharp corner on it and 
cool. I don't know. Hmm. They haven't done it in years, so. Um, and my brother and those, their friends used to, we used to make, uh, I don't know what they call them. They call them roller coasters. They're basically carts uh, that would, would coast, and you could steer them. No engine, but they, you know, they would have a brake, and they would have, Rob would have, like, rope steering. Mm-hmm. And then you would sit in them like a car, and they would race them down these hills, and they would, you know, like, like a soapbox type thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but bigger with roll cages and stuff, they used to, they used to put them up on this hill and race them down. Um, <laughs> pretty wild. But, yeah, the stuff like that you wouldn't would let kids do today. Yeah, some of the, some of the, like you were talking about, surviving, some of the toys that we survived. Mm-hmm. Um, the chemistry sets. The, do you remember the... the <laughs> Leroy <laughs> taught us that one. <laughs> What's that? Leroy in the Great Gildersleeve made nitri- um, nitroglycerin. I made a, I, I burnt a test tube when we mine. It, it oh, dear, another one. <laughs> he was not impressed. So how did you dispose of it? I don't even remember. My dad took care of it. Um, That's what dads are built for. Yeah. And I can remember, too, uh, the, 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 we would never, ever like this have this today. Do you remember the creepy crawlers? Creepy crawlers, creepy crawlers. They were little rubber creatures. No. Well, they were basically, they were made out of rubber. And they were, originally, they were called creepy crawlers because when they were originally made, they were like insects and ugly insects and stuff, little creepy bugs and stuff. <laughs> supposedly supposed to be scary. Mm-hmm. They were like spiders and, and stuff like that. And then they started coming out with all kinds of them. They were just like Superman and Batman and all these different different things. They were all made out of rubber. And then they came out with Make Your Own Creepy Crawlers. And what it was was basically a mold, a metal mold plate with, with a cord attached to it and some kind of heating element in it. And you would take this goop, a different colored goop, and you'd put it in the mold. Let's say you had a Batman mold. So you plug mm-hmm. the Batman one, the bat, one half of the Batman mold you plug in, and then you would take this goop, whatever color you wanted to make Batman, put it in the mold, and then take the other half the mold and put it over the top, and leave it there, and then it went for I don't know how long. Well, it didn't take very long, and then you would like trim the excess off of the edge of the bowl, and you would have your own creepy collar. <laughs> <laughs> now, how toxic was this stuff, as long as we're talking about killing kids? Yeah, exactly. This stuff had to be toxic. <laughs> I mentioned the fire issue and the burn issue. That's true. It was, it was, it was not, to look at it from a safety point of view, it definitely was a very safe toy. <laughs> not safe for oh. children under five. Hello? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So there was all that kind of stuff. 
bicycles and uh, I mean helmets. We never wore helmets. Mm-mm. That was never. No. Uh, you know, um, I can remember and we, we should go to town. Walked. There was a parade too. We had a town like three miles away, and we'd go watch the Memorial Day parade again. No parents. We six or seven of us would ride our bikes in the town. Yeah, watch the parade. Again, no parents involved. Yeah. Um, hmm. so things have changed, I guess. I, and I don't think it was any safer back then. I just don't think so. Here's, here's another book for us, Walden. How to Survive Without a Safety Helmet. Very good. I like that title. Mm-hmm. That is a good title. And then we have manners for stupid people. Well, they do have, what, computers for dummy? Mm-hmm. Right. There you go. Yeah. We have something for dummies in every possible subject. Probably needs to write a parenting book for dummies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's my big issue. <laughs> I think there should be a license. If you can't pass that, if you can't pass the test, you can't be parents. I agree. I agree. Oh. You have to have a license before you can drive a car. But driving right. a kid for 21 years, you don't need anything. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, I think we should be a little more picky about who we let reproduce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe a little more How do we do that? Put it in the water? What's that? Do we put it in the water and then give them clean water after they've passed their test? Yeah, we could do something like that. Like I said, it may be a little Orwellian, but, you know. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Did you know that some of us are more equal than others? That's right. Animal Farm, yeah, Animal Farm is one of the best books that, Ever was printed, ever. I'm teaching it again. I've taught that book like 40 times. But it is, it is a classic. It, it is well it, it is. It is. thought out and well, well presented. Well, mm-hmm. exactly what it says. It, 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 it pictures the point perfectly, you know. It's like, it's like that old Who song. You know, I picked up my guitar and play. Just like yesterday, get down on my knees and pray, hope you don't get fooled again. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, you know. Take a vow for the new revolution or, or make a prayer for the new constitution, you know, and all this and that. And then mm-hmm. hope we don't get fooled again, you know. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well. Oh, well. Good book. Oh, but yeah. He's one of my favorite authors, it, it anyway. It is an excellent book. No. We're talking about George Orwell's book. He was the um, author of 1984. And The Animal Farm is a, a history lesson, or actually a lesson. It's not a history lesson. It might as well be. But it's a lesson in um, the distribution of responsibilities, benefits, and, and um how it, it it just is really good. Then the animals on the farm, who were being mistreated and overused, they decided to start a community of their own, 
And they had a donkey and they had pigs and a horse and, you know, different critters like that. And this was supposed to be a, a, a community of equals. Everybody was equal. Each animal, no matter if the animal got sick or was older than the others, the younger ones, they were all equal. Didn't make any difference. And gradually the system started to evolve a little bit. And um, I guess, can I wreck the story? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. The, the pigs were gradually taking things over. They, they finally exercised full control over the community and, and were shipping one of the favorite animals out. And when they were questioned, they sat back with their piggy dinner and their wine or whatever they were drinking. And they said, and they were asked, well, we were supposed to all be equal. And the pigs replied, some of us are more equal than others. Yeah, the whole, so that, the whole power yeah. corrupt, absolutely. I mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yes. And, and, and the original pig in the story, the original leader, actually had a vision of everybody being equal. If you remember, he mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. The original pig leader. Yeah. Um, and then he gets, the lieutenant's got to take over for him. And it's actually. They kind of planned that whole thing because if you remember in the story how the dogs disappeared? Mm-hmm. Little puppies disappeared? Mm-hmm. They come back as trained guard dogs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was well done. And it was and, right at the time, too. People don't understand when that was written. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was thinking how the communists, the, the, it was written during World War Two, I believe. And people were thinking... I'm, I don't think so. George Orwell was way back. He wrote in the late 1800s. Let me see here. Uh, I thought it was World War II that was written. Or World War One. Yeah, the World that, War One. That would be... Uh, um, yeah, he... Well, no, look at that. He died in uh, 1950. I thought, it was, hmm. I thought it was a time when people were... Because the Russians were our allies... Yes, and, and, and I like, blew it here. I was thinking of H.G. Wells. And he was coming not, up with, like, these guys are not good people. They're not nice people at all. Yeah. They're not They're not good guys. This is what they're, this is what they're about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. it was H.G. Wells I was thinking of, and he's the one who wrote um, uh, the, the War of the World. War of the World, yeah. And I think it was 1898 he wrote that. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, Anyhow, yeah. So yes, it, and if you said World War Two, it would be right on target. So I should, I should probably books. Let me see books. Books. Oh, books. World War II. Animal Farm. That's, Let's see. Animal Farm. Like. Animal Farm was written in 1945. So right after the war. So that would have been perfect timing because that's right. when the the perception of communist threat and in some instances, a real threat, yep. started emerging. So, yeah, and you were right on target on that one. What did we ever do without the Internet? Well, my problem with that book is I like it, but I'm, getting, I'm sick of it. I've, like, I've taught it, it so many times. Mm-hmm. It just 
there's there's a limit. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's it pains me to say, you're, even oh, if you yeah, have too much chocolate, you're going to not like it for a while. Yeah, exactly. That pains me to say that, Walden. I know. You 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 make the big sacrifice. What can I say? I do. I do. I make such yeah, sacrifices. Too, you know. I've never had a diet in my life. I've always been no, I know you didn't. We also below 100 pounds. You know, you know, you just missed one of the great thrills of life for not skipping the dieting part. Oh, I may have to do it now. I'm starting to get fat. I'm getting to the point now where I think next time I go see my doctor, he's going to say, okay, now we want to stop. I want to get any more. You're going to have to stop drinking that chocolate shake for breakfast, I guess, Fred, or whatever you're doing. Uh, I'm doing good for my my drinking. I drink it sure. Ah. That's supposed to be good for you, right? Mm. It's supposed to be. I don't know anything about it, but it's supposed to have a bunch of really good stuff in it for you. Oh, I drink three or four of those a day. Mm. Ooh, my goodness. Let's see. Too much insure. <laughs> if there is such a thing. Sammy, eating four Big Macs for lunch, Patricia, what do you think? Again, please? If it's the same like eating four Big Macs for lunch? Well, oh, that's the best thing I ever did. I used to think it was quitting cigarettes. Uh-huh. I actually believe quitting, quitting eating at McDonald's is the best thing I ever did. I, oh. Well, you're, you were helping the U.S. economy, Fred. By eating it McDonald's? Yeah. Well, I'm not helping it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, Fred. Here we go. It's on the Insure bottles. You should not drink more than two a day. Oh, boy. I'm breaking that law. (laughs) So, you know, you, you, you don't, you're not vomiting. You're not nauseous. You're not. Spending half your day in the in the in the potty. Nope. So, yeah. And are you using this as a supplement or as meal replacements? A uh, supplement. Okay. Yeah. Well, I pronounce it safe for you. And I don't have it all the time. I don't have yeah. it, but like I'll have it like first. If I have it, I'll for like a snack late at night or something. And what I'll do mm-hmm. is I'll take two and pour them in a mug. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes I'll have a couple in the morning, too. So sometimes I'll have one yeah. day. Uh, well, I just okay, we're doing time. dietary reviews here. What do you have for breakfast? Oh, me? I'm poor when it comes to breakfast. I don't eat breakfast. Okay. Breakfast. What do you have for lunch? And then lunch, it depends. Um... Sometimes I'll do a big lunch, like that'll be my dinner. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. talking like maybe uh, frozen, a couple of frozen fish patties. This is what I had the other day. I had a couple mm-hmm. of fish patties, uh, a baked potato with sour cream, <laughs> a couple of dinner rolls and some cottage cheese. Mm-hmm. I'm coming I- to your house. Upper time, I had a chicken sandwich. 
I'm coming to your house. <laughs> uh, sometimes I'll have, like, like today, I just, all I had all day was three chicken sandwiches. I have ate it all. Hmm. I spaced them out during the day. Hmm. So I, I woke up and I, and these are, these are good chicken sandwiches, though. These are not, like, delis. These are homemade. I, I get the, the my, my student calls mystery chicken at Hannaford's. Mm-hmm. And I buy one of those, and what I'll do is I'll make one meal out of it, because you buy it hot. I'll, I'll, I'll make a meal out of the, the first day I get it with a potato or whatever, and then... Uh, and then I'll take the rest of the meat and I'll make sandwiches. And then I take the bones and put barbecue sauce on it and stick it in the toaster oven. Oh, what will that do? Well, you always wind up with meat on the bones. You can't slice everything off. And it's oh. it's quite a lot of meat that stays on the bones, so I put barbecue sauce on it and then take it off with a fork. And there is more than enough for a meal that we would ordinarily want. And I just did this for the first time about a month ago. And, boy, it was good. And it really was a lot of meat that would have gone into the dumpster. Yeah. So that's my my tip for today. Uh You can get another meal and a really neat meal by just treating the bones as a friend. Oh, okay. All right. The other thing I like a lot, I haven't had in a while, but I'll have these for lunch a lot, is uh, those steakums. They're probably really bad for you. And what, did, what is this? They're called steakums. I have those. They're like little individual sliced uh, steak meat that you can put in a frying pan or whatever. Yeah, they're very thin. Very, very thin. I've never heard of it. Oh, very good. Uh, yeah, I'll take a... You can make steak sandwiches with those. Yeah, I'll take a hot dog bun, and I'll take a piece of, I'll, I'll put steak, in, I'll put a, a whole bunch of butter in a pan, drop the steak in there, look it on one side for like two minutes, minute and a half, and I'll put like a big gob of steak sauce on top of it, mm-hmm. and then I'll flip it over, so it's now sitting in the steak sauce, and do that for like a minute, and then I'll put it, Slice cheese on top. Let the cheese melt, and then I'll just take it out and put it in the bun. And that steak sauce will saturate right through the whole bun. And that's all I do. I don't, a lot of people add vegetables or like uh, will add stuff to it. Onions and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't even bother. This just need these slices are pre-cooked. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Very good. How did this get by me? It's in the frozen. Be it's in the frozen. You can burn a, you can burn them right to a crisp real easy. They're like in the frozen food section, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, frozen food. Yeah. I pick up banquet dinners and my favorite vegetables. Oh, here you go. Well, I'll warn you though. Brussels sprouts, right, Patricia? Uh, this is my right. opinion. There are certain things. You can buy the cheap version of the certain things you can't. Steakums you can't. You got to buy the real thing. You can't. I can't. Okay. I don't like. I don't like the store brand. 
Okay. Um, we won't make you eat it. But yeah, the originals are called Steakums. Steakums. Okay. Well, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> and I can be confident that I can come up the stairs with groceries and not kill myself on the way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, my goodness. Know, yes. wants to, there's a night owl out there that wants to talk to you guys. All right. Okay. Fred. I will let them try to get in. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Fred. Thank you, and have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. It. You guys have a good week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break for for a moment, and then I want for should be a question, Patricia, what do you think? That way we yes. can... So what, what, Patricia and I are going to take a few minutes break, and then we'll come back and do our questions. So no more phone calls for the rest of the night. So Patricia, I'm going to go grab a glass of milk. So you want to do the same or whatever you want to do, uh, that's, what, that's what I'll do for the next 10 minutes or so. Yes, I will. Do you, do you want me not to hang up? Yeah, you can hang up if you want. What do you want? <laughs> what are we doing on time here? It's not very bad on time. No, but I, I want to run the uh, I want to run the uh, John uh, Major John A shoes and I run forty five yeah. minutes. And if we run that, you know, so we got another half hour. I would say the forty five minutes to put do questions. Then I think we should probably get into the interview. Okay. So, Call me back. I will. Call you back. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Here's, Don't go away. Here's the new Bing Crosby CD I got today. Ah. I hope. I hope, I hope, I hope. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. While the merry bells keep ringing, may your every wish come true. Happy holiday, happy holiday. May the calendar keep ringing, happy holidays to you. Traffic noise affects you like a squeaky violin. Kick your cares down the stairs. Come to Holiday Inn. If you can't find someone who will set your heart a whirl, take your car and motor to the home of Boy Meets Girl. If you're laid up with a breakdown, throw away your vitamins. Don't get worse. Grab your nurse and come to Holiday Inn. Happy holiday, happy holiday, while the merry bells keep ringing, may your every wish come true. Happy holiday, happy holiday, 
May the calendar keep bringing happy holidays to you.
and all is bright round yon virgin mother and child holy infants so tender and mild sleep in heavenly
got today, The Voice of Christmas, starring Bing Crosby. This came out in 1998. Patricia brand is brand new for me, so I got it. And let's share a prayer, then we're going to play a few more songs while I finish eating my snack. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of doing both shows today. Thank you for the friends and the family we have. Look after the homeless tonight, Lord. Keep them warm. Those who are hungry, feed them. Those who are lost, look for them. Help those who might be going into any emotional difficulties. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Here's some more Bing Crosby. Adeste fideles, leti triumphantes, venite, venite, in Bethlehem. Natum videte, regem angelorum, venite adoremus, venite adoremus, venite adoremus, See you. 
yon virgin mother and child holy infant so tender and mild sleep in heavenly Jaws Professional, Patricia from FL Home, Bill Alt Tab, Skype Trademark Tab, Online Tab, Walden Hit Tab, Search at Act, Favorite, Stuart Cat, Patricia from FL Home, Applications, Content, Send, Invite to Enter, Leaving Menus, Patricia from FL Home, Unloading Jaws, Cancel, OK, Enter. I get there with more here. five more minute break. Hello, how are you? Hello. 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 <laughs> this is our routine, everybody on the phone when when Don do his pri- to each other privately. Now you know how we do it. Hello. He he fibs. I don't participate in anything this silly. <laughs> I caught you red-handed. How can you say such a thing? I have liar liar pants on fire. <laughs> Yes, it's time for confession. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So are we doing your questions now? Uh Uh-huh, we are. All right. I think it would be a good time to do that, and then we'll run to the major. (sighs) He was, uh, you know, I I just, I cannot believe, but Walden said it it was a good interview with him. And I said it probably would have been a lot better if I hadn't kept laughing. His sense <laughs> of humor is over the top. And it, it just took me by such surprise. 
And he'd every once in a while just pop out with a comment that was funny. It just was funny. Mm -hmm. So please forgive my giggles, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. All right. I will go through your list. We've got a stump Walden, mm-hmm. Walden's brain teaser, Walden's colonial question, uh, Walden's presidential question, Walden's presidential quote, Walden's first lady question, and this tonight it's a question, not a quote, and we have Walden's baseball question. You know, I notice the a commonality with each one of these things. The name Walden. Yes, and none of them had Patricia on it. <laughs> Patricia's face. Well, I looked, right. a, I, I looked them up. I know the answers already. You're smarter than I am, then. Well, at the moment, I have more information. I don't know if I'm smarter, but I have more information. <laughs> You're one of the smartest, brightest bunny rabbits I know on the face of the earth. Oh, in in the way of bunny rabbits, as far as bunny rabbits go. That's a compliment. Thank you very much. Well, you are. Most people agree. You are the smartest person on this network. Well, see, not, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never, me will not protest any longer. <laughs> it, 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 that's a very common, oh my gosh. A common thing oh my is gosh. how bright you are, my dear. Oh, it's my bushy tail. B-R-I-G-A-T. Bright. She's bright. Okay, thump it. Thump the bushy tail. Let's make sure everybody hears it, Patricia. Go ahead. Very good. She does horse sound effect, too. At no oh, yes. Ex- at no extra charge. At no extra charge. Do your horse. No, no. Oh. The clip-clop clip. <laughs> I think that is so darn good. You do it now, Patricia. I've got a bushy tail. You've got a horse's hoofs. Okay, hmm. you, you do you do a horsey, horsey t- hoof. <laughs> a hoof? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I can't I can't do it like you do. Well, I don't care. That's the best I can do. <laughs> it stinks. Now, oh, see, that's that's perfect. That's perfect. Wouldn't even need a sound man for that. You know. You. Hmm? I think we should go. I think we should go to go into school. We we can show. We can learn. We can teach sound effects. What do you think? We can do what? Teach people how to do sound effects for a living. We we can do that. Yeah. There's that we again. Well, don't you want to do it? Well, I would love to, but I'm not very good at it. You're wonderful. I mean, you're horse winning. Do it again. I didn't do one. <laughs> See how remarkable I, I, I am when I, I do know. something like that? You didn't even know I didn't do it. Well, you did your... You did your horse? Oh, purr. no, you did you did that. But you did what, I did too? my bushy tail. It, was, it sounded like a cat purr. Oh, 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 oh. I didn't do a Winnie. Okay, now I can't wait until you get your, your, frog, your, your frog sound effects out there and your... Alligator crawls and stuff like that there. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to have to put, I guess the closet would be the best place <laughs> to do the alligator. I can't do it outside. They'll shoot me. The, the alligator, oh, well. The alligators will come running. Yeah, I know that now. Wow. 
they, it, it was still it was left over from my stupid period. How how long how long were you stupid? Pretty long time. Were you? <laughs> really? <laughs> how, who else do you know got got in a compound with a mountain lion? None. None. I don't either. You 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 are brave. No, that was stupid. Wait, Thank wait. you for putting a positive spin on this, but it was downright stupid. Well, I mean, you're, you're, but it was cool. You're still here to talk about it. This is true. This is true. And the other guy was, he put his arms out, and he's standing in front. Don't move. Don't move. Stay behind me. And that's what he kept saying. Stay behind me. I said, Jim, no problem. I'm here. <laughs> you think you think I'm going to get out and walk in front of you? You're out of your tree. My goodness. And he was this big cat, just threw herself across. The, it, it was a compound with a door, and it, it was screened in, so it was a screen door. And she just threw her body down. She wasn't going to let anybody out. And and all you had with you was your camera. That's all I had. He didn't have anything. He was brave. He was stupid. At least you had the camera. <laughs> I had the camera, right. I don't think it would have been an effective weapon. No, you could say you're on candy camera and take some pictures. That's <laughs> right. Smile. <laughs> but what a beautiful, oh, beautiful creature. Just beautiful. Would you always, uh, would you always in love with our, with our animals of the nature? Yes. Yes. Mm. It's just that raccoons and I don't get along very well anymore. At one time they did. Oh, they did. Oh gosh, yes. Oh. I, I sat on the ground with them. Had my camera case. They took apart my camera case. <laughs> climbed up on my shoulder. We just don't you, do you, those things anymore. You're the, you're, you're the modern day Doctor Seuss. No, isn't no <laughs> Doctor Doodle. Doctor Doodle, isn't it the Do- one that talked to the animals? Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, Doolittle. Yeah. You, 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 yes. you you would doodle it. I'm a doodle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am the little doodle, whatever. Doodle. Here she is, Miss Doodle it. Hmm. Oh, Miss Doodle. Okay. Okay, we can do that. Miss Doodle, do do do. All right. Okay. All right. So, which would you like first? My brain teaser, please. Ooh, your brain teaser. Interesting. Okay, let me back up a little bit here, and we have your brain teaser. The capital of Turkey. Is a long word. It's in bold. Spell it. it. Is that yeah? Well, that, that's, that's kind of a long word. It's in bold. Spell it. Yeah, it's it's not like sitting bowl or anything like that. It's Istanbul. Yes, Istanbul. 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 I S A M B U L E. I would understand it if you put it in an email, but no. <laughs> no, we're 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 kind of far afield there. No, have it, a, have it, 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 little, it, little it, many, little too many alphabet sprinkles in there. It sounds out. It sounds just right to me. Which is why I would understand it in an email. Yes, Campbell. Hmm. I S S A M B U. 
and the little thing on I your might knee. Not, I might not get my arms around that one. I might have to. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. All right. Now, let, listen to the whole question. The capital of Turkey is a long word. Can you spell it? W-O-R-D. Yeah. That's a Patricia question. Well, you know, a long word. Can you spell it? Very hmm. good. Very well, good. Well, I, I would... I would accept that. The, it, it's the sentence, can you spell it? That is the key to the answer. You spell it, I-T. Oh. But <laughs> it, can, it can be, I, I think it could be taken your way as well. So I'm going to give you credit for that one. That was very good, Walden. Oh, thank you, my dear. You're I, very welcome. I wouldn't have done Now that. you're toast. From now on, yeah, you're I, toast. I know, I know, I know. Do you really? Yeah, I do. My okay. colonial question. Your colonial question. All right. Let's see here. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the one that's a bit off the wall, and I know it, but it was such a great question I wanted to ask you anyway. So if you say it doesn't count, but here's my best guess, then that would be fine. Okay? Uh -huh. Okay. What was Christopher Columbus really looking for when he happened into North America? Which uh, he really didn't do. Yeah, I think he, he hit an island first. And I noticed, too. Let me think. Um, the, the, the passage to India, the... Um, there was a waterway. Let me think. Which one was it? Which one was he looking for? Uh, that's that's what I want. Think the passage to India. He was looking for a route to the far east. Right. No, uh, you're right. Never mind. Yes, that that would have been right. That would have been India. And that's how come we wound up with Native Americans being called Indians. Indian. So, yeah, you get credit for that one. It really wasn't colonial, though. It was a cheat. No, I think it's colonial. It British colonial? It was pre-colonial. Pre pre-colonial, yes. yes. It's like pre-Columbian art. Yeah. Yes. Pre-colonial information. Okay, what's next? My first lady question. Oh, your first lady question. Okay, now I have to phrase this properly. Okay, which first lady learned to shoot a gun when she lived with her husband in the western frontier? When she lived at the White House, she refused to serve as a hostess and gave the role to their daughter. Who did that? sound you hear is Walden's thinking. He tries to do it quietly, but it it does make noise. Garum, 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 garum. How about Zachary Taylor's wife? Mary well, Lee. She, yes. she was known Mary Lee Taylor. Well, she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, that's the correct answer. It's, it's Margaret Taylor. 
and um, I, I guess I, I should have dug up some additional information I about this. But I was trying to make a funny out of it because, you know, there's the, a the radio show called the Mary Taylor Program. Right. Okay. I, no, I, I'm sorry. I See, I take things so literally. I have to learn to expand my perceptions here. I thought you were referring to her refusal to play hostess, and you were being sarcastic by saying she was the Mary Lee Taylor oh, of the I, White I House. I didn't think of that. No, I didn't think of that. But and, that right, and that's the way I took it. Was, yeah. Am I right? It was Mrs. Taylor? Yes, it was. Wow. Okay. Yes, it was. And I, I didn't look up enough information. Plus I have to I have to remind myself periodically to do this because I thought I found this fascinating. She just refused to serve as hostess. And yet she was out shooting a gun and living on the western frontier. So I'm thinking that maybe the White House life didn't match up with who she was. You know, she's she's out shooting squirrels and then has to put on a dress and say, How do you do, sir? And she didn't want to have anything to do with that. So I don't know why, but that, that would be my guess. What do you yeah, think? I think you're absolutely correct. Cause her, gen- her husband was a famous general, so I imagine mm-hmm. living in the West was a very common thing for them to do. Yeah. So she she was a rough and rugged lady when she came to the White House, and they demanded that she simply be a lady. And she had to leave her rough and rug- rugged type stuff at the door. And she didn't want to be a hostess. That's fine with me. I'll bake the cookies. But yes, that that is true. So yes, Zachary Taylor. Did you know Zachary Taylor voted for the first time when he was sixty years old? Nope, I did not know that. I, I knew he was. I think with the Mexican War, General, uh-huh. and uh, died about two years in office. Well, he he didn't vote until he was sixty because he he did not have a permanent address before then. He was military and got passed from post to post to post and lived in a couple of different he never he never lived in a place long enough or had an address long enough to be able to register to vote so it wasn't that he he ignored his duty or his responsibility he just didn't have an opportunity until he was sixty years old could provide an address and register to vote Great. Great. How about that? Great piece of info. You're welcome. What's next? My presidential question. Your presidential question. Which Republican candidate promised Americans a full dinner pail? Herbert Hoover? No. I thought you might pick that one. He was a chicken in every pot. Grant. You always see a Grant. No. What 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 made you think about Grant for this? I was trying to go I was trying to go on the list the Republicans and he was the second one. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I love the the way you put your brain to work in so many different directions. I never would have thought of that. I should have left the word Republican out. Uh Uh-huh. Then then my appeal would be much smaller. uh, Yeah, Uh, we we went. Rutherford B. Hayes. No. William Harris. One more. Benjamin Harrison. 
No, it was William McKinley. 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 And it was because he was touting recovery from the Panic of 1893. That was really a serious depression. And that was, it, it was similar to Hoover's. Well, I guess he probably borrowed it, didn't he? A chicken in every pot. And this, and McKinley said, a full dinner pail. Yep. So right, good. It, it, it was really a serious depression. Sure. sure. And, um, you know, when people went through the World War, the pre-World War II yep. depression, it, they would liken it back to um, the 1893 catastrophe. And it was really a catastrophe. So, yes, yeah, so anyway, that, and don't forget it, it wasn't Herbert Hoover. So if I come back in six weeks and ask you this question, you're going to know the answer, right? I'll give you a good old college try. Uh, the, the, the correct answer was, yes, I will know it. Yes, well, I will know it. I will point. Then I won't, then I won't ask you. You better. <laughs> we, we were slow on the uptake on both sides there. If you know the answer, I'm not going to ask the question. But I think you should ask me the question. That way I can show you the answer. But if you tell me, I'll, I know you're telling the truth. Correct. Don't you, you like don't, you, don't you want to show me off once in a while? Oh, I, I do every day. Okay, okay, okay. Just want to make sure. Right, what's next? My baseball question. Your baseball question. All right. This is a baseball quote or quotation. I, I I don't do this. Okay. Which baseball player said about hitting against uh, Sandy Colfax, trying to hit him is like trying to drink coffee with a fork? Oh, wow. Oi, Mace. No. This is Sandy Colfax. Mm-hmm. Damn mutual. No. Oi, Stargell. Yes. Very wow. good. Very good. How did you how did you arrive at Willie Stargell? I started to think of great hitters, and then I just came across Woody's name. That's that's about it. Yes, and it would be the right era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was pretty. Boy, you talk about creative thinking. Trying to hit him is like trying to drink coffee with sure. a fork. Sure. Really good. Okay, what's next? What category do I have left? We have your presidential quote, and your Stump Walden question. Okay, presidential quote. Your presidential quote. Okay. This was a future president who said this. Which future president said, a house divided against itself cannot stand, and where did that speech happen? Well, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the Lincoln-Douglas debate of 1858. And we're taken out of the Bible. Interesting. It was 1858. But according to the information I dug up, and I trust you more than the stuff I dig up, met in the Springfield, Illinois State House for the Republican State Convention. Ah. And he spoke to the convention. And, Very um, good. I did not know that. Yeah. Very good. So, anyway, yes, it, it was um, in the battle, the toe-to-toe battle with, um, with Douglas. But you did good. You knew who said it. Okay. Mm. And that leaves me with your Stump Walden question, which is silly. This is silly me, you know. (laughs) All right. The introduction of this weekly 
comedy included the words, a usual family doing average things. What was the show? I see and hear you. No. The Booster Boys. No. One more. I do not know, my dear. Well, we pick on this show fairly frequently, and a lot of it has to do with the stupid way that it was introduced. It's the Smiths of Hollywood. And, of course, they were certainly not a usual family, and they were not doing average things with Lucille Ball and people like that marching through their living rooms. Um, we get a lot of mileage out of the Smiths of Hollywood because it really was not a high-end show by any means, and the situations that they got themselves into were pretty stupid. Not nearly as stupid as Archie, but... And it only ran from January through July of 1947. Now, January through July is not a very long run. And it was so bad that we still talk about it. Have no problems. Oh, yeah, I remember that show. How could something so terrible be so memorable after such a short time on radio? Can I hear the stories because involved? Because it was terrible. Can I hear the stories I involved? Can I hear the movie stories involved? No, I think because it was terrible, it's memorable. Okay. I think. Okay. I don't know. So I think I think for a good number of our family, if when they call, we ask, do you know the Smiths of Hollywood show? And I think a majority of them would say yes. Wow, that's pretty good. I think, anyway. What was the daughter's name, her nickname? B- uh, B- uh, Buffy. No, you're close. It was played by, it by, Terry, by Terry Moore today, but she was with Judy, oh, I forgot, uh, Ford. Um, I want to say Buff. Is it not Buffy? Bump. B-U-M-P. Like I went over bump. a bump on the road. Okay. No explanation of how she got that nickname. I've listened to the first, second, and third shows, but no explanation. Oh, well. Maybe there was some maybe, reference maybe, to it in the maybe early, asked, early show. Maybe, maybe, hmm? maybe yes, there wasn't more of them to find out. Oh, please. I know there was reference to it when, um, what's his face, Harry Von Zell was explaining who his who made up his family, but I don't think he he talked about her being nicknamed Bump, but I don't think he said why and how she got that name, which is really a ludicrous name to begin with, never mind for a girl. I have spoken. And whatever the Patricia says, it is, is the word <laughs> of the day. If I say it's terrible, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody called and said, oh, good pick last night, bad pick last night. Which one played last night? Do you know? I, oh, it was the the last it was the last one from the from the previous bundle. Yes, yes, it was. Okay, 
and people will be happy that I decided not to pick on the sacred cow. For now. For now. Because <laughs> I re-listened to the show, and I didn't think it was as bad as my brain insisted it was when the first couple of times I heard it. And when I told Walden, he said, oh, you know, that really is a bad show. Uh-huh. So I'll I'll put it in the in the pile for next year. I know. You'll be working next year before you know it. Oh. Next Christmas. Hooray! I'm we'll planning... Move, we'll move Christmas up early. I am planning Christmas for 2017. I Can love you it. imagine? I love it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just... I'm having palpitations. <laughs> I'm still working on March of 2016, and here we are at the end. Oh, I have to work faster. So, you can do it. Well, that's the end. Hmm? You can do it. Yeah. You're so encouraging. You tell me I can do things that are off the charts. You can. You're remarkable. Okay. If you say so. I believe it. Thank you. I have faith. Oh, thank you. You are you are too much. You are so good. Okay, it's it's time. Yep. You want to talk about a little Major John A. Hughes before we start? I I will do that. Major Hughes lives in California, and Walden contact. Which group did you contact? The Freedom Committee, uh, uh, Boyne County. Okay, Freedom Committee. And he is a World War II Pearl Harbor survivor. And uh, I, I do I apologize, heads up, right in front. He said so many things that were not only funny, but his delivery of so many things just made things stand out as funny. They were honest to goodness funny. And I apologize for laughing at such – I mean, this, this – we're talking – Pearl Harbor in World War II. Pearl Harbor. And I'm laughing while this man is telling us in very folksy terms. So I'm a little embarrassed that I did so much laughing, but honestly, I I just couldn't help it. He was that good. So we have Major John A. Hughes, who was in Pearl Harbor at the time of the Japanese attack. And... um, I just found out this week. Do you know how many planes flew over? I, I was listening to, I, I was reading an article this week, and I think it was a uh, 150 or, 100 or 300, some, somewhere in those numbers. 320 planes, uh, and they were dropping torpedo bombs. As I was mentioning on Wednesday, yeah. and this will shake my... There's still five guys who are surviving the battleship Arizona. Wow. And there's one just wrote a new biography about it. Wow. That to me amazing. It, you know. There is an opportunity. They opened it on, you probably know this and far better than I, but they opened opportunities that 30 survivors of the Arizona have taken advantage of, and they will divers will will bring ashes 
into the Arizona and deposit them as that's that those are the chosen graves that these 30 men have selected and uh, any any other survivor of the Arizona any survivor and this is not applied to family or anything other than the men who were serving on the Arizona but they have the option of having their remains I did not know that. With their buddies. They, they wanted to be with their buddies. Wow. I mean, that's, that is, that's a heartbreaker. Yep. That, that is a heartbreaker. When, I was, when I was there in the mid-80s, Patricia, the, the Battle of Shapiro was still leaking three gallons of oil a day. I, I know. And I figured out based on the amount, they, I don't know how many millions of gallons, they've still got nine million. Does that sound right? I would not be surprised. Yeah, no, I think it's 9.2 million gallons that are still left, and at the current ooze rate, it will be, I want to say 30 years, but that doesn't sound long enough for the amount of oil that's down there. I mean, it, it, it's into a whole, the end of it, a whole new generation before they even consider that they might be running out of oil to pump into the... I mean, it, it must be an environmental catastrophe. They never talk Did about anybody it. ever talk... Hmm? No, they never talk about it. When I went out there, you know, you could take, yeah. take the boats out there and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it certainly when you're in a place like the site of the Arizona... And the horrific way that our involvement in World War II began, talking about the environmental impact of oil coming into the water, it you know, just doesn't make any sense. But when you think about it, that's, that's consistent. Since 1941, it's been oozing like that, and there are millions of gallons left. Can't be millions. It must be thousands. Probably millions. Cannot. You can't. Yeah. Really? It probably is. Who knows? Oh, it was a battle. It was a battleship. So I guess they, they really, had large storage capacities for fuel. So they had to stay out for a long time on the water. Without refueling. Oh my. Oh my. Well, then I have learned so much. Since you've been making me do all of these things, Are you, you feel you have have you felt like you've gone to college? <laughs> I'm feeling that I'm very glad I did. <laughs> no, I, I you were supposed to pick up on that. What do you mean I made you do that? You did that on your own, and I did. I know. You can't help yourself. I know. I know. I need a controlled mate. Yes. But no, what I'm saying. Yeah. Because you work so hard at these things, your, your preparation is almost like going back to school. Oh, it is. Yeah. It is. I'm feeling very smug and smart on some of these areas now. <laughs> um, okay, well, we we do have the interview yes. with uh, Major Hughes, yep. and I think you will enjoy it, and I do apologize that he made me laugh. And it was it. It was not not always the battle, the war itself, but he caught different parts of of it and his control. So you know, uh, it was mm-hmm. just his delivery and the way he sort of half 
hard. Patricia was not laughing about the sad parts of it. Just no, and that exactly. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. It was such a serious subject, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there and feeling embarrassed each time he made me laugh. Right. That it, it, it just, I don't know. And, and, it I was think he, and, and I think he did it on purpose. He, Do you he, think? Oh yeah. Oh, that little rascal. Yeah, I think he did that on purpose. Once he knew he, once he knew he had it, I think he did it on purpose. Boy, did he have me! Yes, from the, from the first, from the first one, and I was lost. Yes. I was just lost. Yes. So, so I think you will enjoy it, and uh, thank you, Walden, for finding him. We figured he—I don't have an age on him, but I went backward and figured even if he joined and uh, en- enlisted when he was seventeen, yep. which is the youngest he could have been, um, it would make him about ninety-five today. Yep. So, it was really a very special time, and I I enjoyed talking with him so much. So, enjoy it. I think you will. All right, my dear. Relax. You did your two shows. I did. Uh, We had a good time. I did. I had a great time today, and tonight was really fun fun. It was. We've never never had an unfun time with our family, ever. No, no. And we want to thank Ken Goff earlier for giving up his afternoon to be with us or evening. So mm-hmm. thank you, Ken. And then next week, Patricia will get to talk to my Uncle Jim. Yes, I will. <laughs> and then we'll run, uh, that, we'll run that next Saturday on the 17th. We, we, will, we will do that, yes. And then yes. the following one, we'll be talking to Patricia from Alabama. This I is true. I'm bringing I'm bringing my headset phone with me and hoping that when I plug it into her jack, it's going to work. If not, tell her to go get get a jack for Christmas. Oh no, she's got she's got a jack there. I'm just wondering if my phone is going to work. Well, that's what I mean. Have a, have I don't a, think there's any. There's no reason it shouldn't. Okay. Okay. So you're bringing your actual phone with you. Yes. Yes. Wow. The one with the headset. You are yes, a smart money rabbit. I will plug it in there, and um, are you going to take your laptop? We'll with see. You? You're going to take your laptop. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh sure. Oh okay. sure. Oh sure. Silly Walden. You know, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia yes. has Patricia has the laptop will travel kind of thing. Yes. 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 It, it it would be hard. I use I use it not only to do internet stuff, but I pay my bills that way. This week, so I had to a buy a, a new dumb phone. Cause my old dumb phone died. And I didn't want to get it. I didn't want to get on a contract. So, yes. so, so I paid the money, but they offered me a deal which I, which I couldn't turn down. What? They, uh, they offered to reduce my cell phone bill by five dollars a month if I would take this thing off their hand and get paid the ta- get paid ninety nine cents for it in the tax. It, it was an iPad, and I seen those things You're in stores. I seen those things in stores run for three to five hundred dollars. So we have now an I iPad. Know it. Yeah. So AT and T right well, now. It's not the. It's not the issue that came out yesterday. <laughs> it's one that's a little bit older. 
Yeah. I mean, every time you turn around, one yeah. of these new things is coming out, and, yeah. and it's got more bells, more whistles, more buttons, more. All I want to do is make a phone call. So that's what we. So we we now have a we have an iPad in the family. We haven't activated it yet, but at least for ninety nine for ninety nine cents plus tax, I I figure we just. I'm impressed. Uh, I figure I am. Too good of a deal. Figure it's a good back. Oh my gosh. So. Oh my gosh. You are too cool. I am impressed. Thank you, my dear. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Put one down. Another one on your list. Wow. You are finishing the year with an entire notebook filled with goodies like this. That's true. I, mm-hmm. but I've never eaten four Big Mac for one lunch, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's worthy of inclusion that Don does it. Dear me. Don is our computer guru. Yes. And I mean guru. Yes. And, of course, that's his, his, um, that's his profession. That's, yes. that's what he does to earn a living and pay for the family goodies and stuff like that there. Yeah. And then he goes out and eats four Big Macs plus fries. And, six, and six fries in one day. In one, one, one meal. It's, he must have expandable <laughs> innards, I guess. I don't know. How do you, how do you swallow that much I food? I don't know. In, oh, Man, my word. Her, but that's what I think she told me, yep. Four Big Macs, and I think she said it was six or five, maybe less, maybe only four or five, but still. <laughs> and he has to have something to wash it down with. It doesn't sound like he's sensitive enough about calories that he would walk around <laughs> looking for a, a yeah, diet a soda diet that soda. would fit. Yeah, wouldn't that be a kind yeah. of good, a diet yeah. soda but I, have, but I have my 7,000 calories, please, in a diet soda. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to tease him on that one. So, Okay, well, we are finished, everybody, and thank you so much for being with us. My gosh, did we have a silly time tonight. We <laughs> I had a good time, and, and thank you for always being out there, everybody. We love you, everybody. Thank you for being with us for all these years mm-hmm. and many more to come because Patricia and I still have a good time with nobody tuned in, but you make that, it that's true. special. <laughs> We can pretend everybody is out there and have a good time, but I know you're going to be with us, and we will be back next week. Cross our little hearts. Yeah, with, with my Uncle Jim. It's, this is true. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. I, I, hope I'm ha- I, I hope he, when he hangs up, says, I was sort of looking forward to this, you know? <laughs> just kind of shrug his shoulders and go back to whatever he would he would have preferred to do. But that'll be fun. It'll be really nice to have a conversation with him. Yeah. Thank you for arranging that. Well, thank you. Now you're going to have to look, look up a Wikipedia page. I can do that. Oh, good. You know, J.B. Davis, everybody. I, I can do that. Good. Good. All right. All right, my dear. I'll so we're finished, right? We're finished. I'm going to go over the stuff. Okay, good night, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia.
to hear the JAWS help topic for SoundForge press insert plus F alt tab. SoundForge Pro 11.0 alt tab. Windows M. M. Windows M. Desktop M. Microsoft M. My Conf M. My Document Enter. Document 1 Saturday 1 Christmas Christmas 1 1 Friday night 1 Saturday 1 2 1 0 Enter 1 11 Fred Allen Dat 4 Yesterday USA 2016-11-251 Walden and Patricia with Pearl Harbor Survivor Unloading Jock Hands OK Enter 1 2 en Okay, we're gonna get started and here Patricia everybody Hello, everyone. We have a very special guest. We have Major John A. Hughes, U.S. Marine Corps retired, who was a naval aviator, an aviation pilot, who was in the service when Pearl Harbor was attacked. And we're going to talk with him about his experiences in Pearl Harbor and um, what happened in the aftermath, what his responsibilities were. Welcome, Major Hughes. I'm so happy that you're with us. Thank you. Major, where were you when Pearl Harbor was attacked? I was at uh, Edwards Field, uh, Marine Air Station on the southwest corner of Oahu. So you were, that's where you, you were stationed. Um, yes. How did, you, how did you learn about Pearl Harbor's attack? How did I learn about it? Well, yes. I was standing out in the street and was shot at. Okay. <laughs> I asked you about um, being a pilot during um, Pearl Harbor, and you said not at Pearl Harbor, but later. And no, I, I was not a pilot at that time. Yeah, I, I misunderstood that. Tell me what you remember about the attack and what was happening to you at that time. Well, it was uh, after breakfast, it was Sunday, and we weren't working, so I was back at my building there, and uh, I heard some noise. I stepped outside, and I saw these planes coming in, strafing the area. So I went down to the gate there, which was just about 50 yards, told the sergeant of the guard to sound the alarm that the Japanese were here. And I uh, went and got my rifle and told the guys in the other barracks to get their rifles. The Japs were here. And then I went out, got off a few shots there. I went out to the fight line. We tried to save some of the airplanes by moving them away from the ones that were burning. In the meantime, the Japanese were strafing the place, so we'd get off a few shots and push more airplanes. And so it was an exciting period. My gosh. Uh, exciting is, is kind of taking my breath away here. I don't think exciting is, is a big enough word. Now, when, you were moving, <laughs> when, when you were moving... The airplanes, where were you moving them from and to? Well, the airplanes, you know, are generally lined up wing to wing in the parking lot. And so some of them were burning, so we loosened the ropes to tie down and push them away from the burning ones to, to, just to try to save them. Okay. But, uh, otherwise, you know, uh, they would have went right down the line and burned all of them. Yeah. That's one from yeah. the other, so we, we separated them. Sure. And how, how many were destroyed in that particular circumstance? Oh, I'm just trying to remember. Probably uh, might have been 40 destroyed, and the other, I think we had about 60, and the other 20 were damaged. That was that was quite a quite a damage. Um, oh yeah, they wow. got all of them. 
Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, what happened in the aftermath? What were you assigned to? And give me a general idea of what the rest of the um, military personnel were doing. Well, after the uh, uh, strike was over, we uh, uh, the job was to clean up the area mm-hmm. and uh, as well as we could. And uh, any damaged stuff, try to fix it up. But that was a what mainly we did. Were you expecting another attack? Well, we waited for one, but uh, nothing showed up, so that was satisfactory. Yes, indeed. We Would were, you explain? Go ahead. After that first one, we thought, well, surely with the uh, attack going like that, there would be a landing party. So that's what we were looking for, and, and none showed up, which was all right with us. I guess so. I guess so. Um, how how long after the attack were you on active alert for a second attack? Uh, not very long. After nothing happened right away, uh, things were secured and went back to our regular duties. Mm-hmm. Would you explain the role of a naval aviator and what you did as an aviation pilot? Well, uh I guess it was about eight months after Pearl Harbor, I went to flight training. After that, I went to a, a squadron up in the uh, desert for a few months, then went out to the Solomon Islands. And there I flew a dive bomber in a squadron. And uh, at that time, I was operating off of Henderson Field on Guadalcanal. Then we went up and bombed uh, uh, New Georgia, uh, airfields there. And then later on, we moved up to... When we took that place, it was uh, Munda, New Georgia, Munda Airfield. Then we went up there, flew off of that, attacked Bougainville. Then we took Bougainville, we moved up there, did the attacking on New, uh, New Britain, Rabaul area. And I was there for, I think it was about 13 months. Then went back to the States for eight months. And then I went back to the Philippines. And uh, flew there northern Philippines for a couple of months, and then went down southern Philippines to Zamboanga and flew down there until the war was over. Why were you moved so frequently? Well, I wasn't frequently. It was, you know, several months or even uh, six months in one place. But we, our home base was down island further south. And then we would move up, squatters would move up into the combat area anywhere from six weeks to two months, then go back into our rear area, and some other squadron would come in. So it was just a, a relay of squadrons back and forth, and you didn't stay in the combat zone all the time. I understand now. Thank you. When you were flying in combat, tell me what was going on. Well, you'd take off, join up, fly 180 miles to the target, poke the nose over, go down, drop your bomb, join up and go home. <laughs> so the, uh, the actual um, field there over the field wasn't maybe one minute and you were gone. And that mm-hmm. one minute was straight down. <laughs> wow. What were, you, what were your targets? Uh, generally either supply areas, anti-aircraft guns, bivouac areas, and sometimes put holes in the runway. What kind of 
um, resistance did you meet when you were doing that? Uh, generally, you have a our center rack was a thousand pound bomb, and then we had a, a wing rack who sometimes have a hundred pounder on each wing. So primarily was a thousand pounder in the middle, and occasionally, if the target called for it, we'd have a a sixteen hundred pound bomb in the middle. How much destruction power did a 1,600-pound bomb carry? <laughs> it could do quite a bit of damage. Usually <laughs> on the 1600s, uh, those were used on shipping, not so much on land targets. We use 1,000-pounders on land targets. Amazing. Well, they do a, do a lot of damage. Now, when, it, when, it, when a single bomb, a single 1,600, hit a ship, would it be dis- could you disable the ship? Yeah, it was generally tried to sink it. <laughs> I was we thinking in terms want, of one. No, we didn't want to dis- just damage them. We wanted to get rid of them. <laughs> you wanted to get rid of them. I, I recall from the video. You with a 1,600-pounder. In uh-huh. the midships, it's going to go down. In midship, okay. All right, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. When I watched the video, I recall you're talking about a ship that just got hit from all over and still managed to limp. How did uh, that happen? I'm trying to think of which one that was. Well, if you have 1,000 pounders, it depends on where you hit the ship. If you don't hit it in a vital spot, to, you know, in the machinery or on the bridge or something, mm-hmm. if it's a big enough ship, it can take quite a bit of damage. My gosh. Did you encounter zeros when you were up doing that? Uh, yeah, not too much. We had our own fighter cover who would uh, take care of them. Our job was huh. once, we, once we dropped our bomb and, and joined up, we had a rear seat gunner. And if the uh, Japanese planes would attack us in the rear, our gunners would uh, boom in on them. Mm-hmm. We'd have, you know, maybe we'd have anywhere from. 18 to 60 planes, and if we join up in that, that means we had to, if we had 60 planes, that's 120 guns facing aft. So the Japanese wouldn't attack us generally from when we were in big, big units like that. Yeah. Because it was too hazardous for them. Did your plane ever take any fire? Oh, yeah. We had holes. Sometimes the holes <laughs> had holes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. This is too much. You talked about um, Guadalcanal and the Solomon Islands and some really challenging problems that you had when it rained with mud, with malaria. You had everything thrown at you. Would you talk about that? Well, I never had malaria. I uh, avoided it. Uh, But uh, other people I was with had, had malaria. Uh, but, uh, it was. Uh, it wasn't. You know, it was. It was living. Uh, I wouldn't call it uh, living in the aster or anything like that. But <laughs> we did have our either tent or a, a portable building to live in. You know, it wasn't too mm-hmm. bad. Except you were sleeping on mud. Oh no, we had. We generally had cots to live in, to sleep on. I don't Tell recall. me about the. There was mud the outside, but I never lived in, in mud, but it'd be awful muddy outside sometimes. 
you talked about the airstrip being just inundated with rain and turned into mud, and the planes had a really difficult time. Would you tell us about that, please? Well, if you got too much mud, you have trouble picking up speed. The wheels get in the mud, you know, they just like a car, they don't move too quick. So mm-hmm. if it's real muddy, you have trouble getting airborne, picking up speed. Landing doesn't make any difference. You want to slow down anyway. But taking off, you need to get some airspeed. If it's too muddy, uh, you just can't can't get airborne. But I don't recall getting to the point where I couldn't get off the ground. Did any of the others not be able to get off the ground? Uh, not too much. They just go back and start over again, get back a little further on the runway and and do it again. Where did your supplies come from? We always got off. You you managed to take off. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Where did your supplies Uh, come from? Where would they come from? Well, we always had our supply area in the area that we were flying from, but uh, supply area took care of that. We didn't take care of our supplies. They were provided for us. How did did they get to you on Guadalcanal and in the Solomon Islands? Well, by ship. Ship would come in and unload them. Mm. And sometimes if if you're in an area where there's no shipping available, a small airplane would bring it in. Amazing. Generally, it was a a ship. Generally, a supply ship. A supply ship. You talked about the Japanese Zero planes being superior to the American planes at that time. Would you, no, they would were, you tell but me... I don't think they were too superior. They were a little faster. They, they were faster. Could they maneuver more quickly? They were, they were very maneuverable, yes. Uh, but uh, our planes seemed to take care of them all right. In terms of losses in the areas that you were serving and stationed in, tell me about the losses that the aviators and pilots suffered. How many what? Losses. How, How many, many did were you shot lose? down? Yes. I, I don't have that figure in my head right now. Was it a lot? No, we we lost quite a few, but the Japanese lost more. They did. <laughs> That's what counted. You got, you got more in there. Walden, do you have any questions? Yes, I was going to ask John. John, where, where's your family from? Because I'm a Hughes, and you're a Hughes. My family came from Virginia and Iowa. Where did your, where, where did your Hughes family come from? Well, my father came from southern Illinois, Springfield. My mother came from New York City. That's quite a combination. I'm an old New York girl. You're talking my language here. (laughs) What what made you decide to get into the military? Was that something you wanted to do right out of high school? Well, I I just, uh, another guy and I went, we were working the same place, and we went down to a record depot there in L.A. one day. I don't know how we happened to go down there, but. I think we were talked to by some recruit guy, and so we went down. And I enlisted, and the other guy didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was in 
seven, I think it was. So, did you have basic training here in California? What did you? How did you? Went to boot. I went to boot camp in San Diego. Okay. And that was in May 1938. And then from there, what was it? Was it to Hawaii, or was it somewhere else? Well, I'm, I'm trying to remember where I went from there. Uh -huh. uh, let me see. Uh, gosh, uh, let's see, that was, uh, trying, to, trying to remember where the heck I was at any particular time. <laughs> I'm, a little dubious, I'm a little dubious whether I'm right here right now. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, my gosh. I have your activity, yeah, well, I went Dave. First, I went down yeah. to... Uh, um, when I first got out, I went up to uh, uh, Mojave Desert. Uh -huh. We had a new airfield up there, a small airfield. I went up there for just a couple of months and then shipped out to Guadalcanal. So that would have been, what year was that? Uh, early 43, I guess it was. Right. Um, yeah, it was about June of 43, something like that. A little, a little earlier, uh, February of 43. I was looking, but February. I was looking at your history on the website, the Freedom Committee, everybody, www.fc-oc.org, and it shows that you served our country, John, from 1938 to 1964. You did what? You served our country from 1938 to what, 1964? 1954. Yeah. Wow. So after after your days in military, John, what did you wind up doing? What were some of the things you? Well, I I didn't do too much. I went I went to school. Uh huh. Uh, college figured I would be a teacher, and I thought that was a, a pretty good thing. I'd done teaching teaching in the in the Marine Corps. We all do. Okay. And uh, I thought, well, that's what I could do, and uh, I got through and I investigated and I found out that they didn't like guys that were my age <laughs> coming in as new teachers. So uh, I've been working, I can't remember what I was working, working at a, at a liquor store uh -huh. to make, you know, to get through college. Right. And I thought, well, the heck with it, I'll just keep that job. And I worked there for quite a few years, ended up as a night manager, and worked there for quite a few years till I was, I don't know, 60-some years old, and I quit. And relaxed. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you did much relaxing. How about your family? Relaxed. Your family. Your family knew that you were in Pearl Harbor or at Pearl Harbor. Yeah. How did you get in touch with your family to let them know you were okay? Well, right afterwards, uh, the uh, CEO suggested everyone write home uh, and tell them that they were okay. So mm -hmm. we all wrote our letters home and told them what happened and that we were all right. Were you able to keep them up on where your various assignments were? Oh, yeah, you just write letters. <laughs> you just wrote letters. <laughs> so we still got mail and everything. Yeah. Interesting. Now, what is what is the one thing about the Pearl Harbor attack? When when I say Pearl Harbor, what's the first thing that comes into your head? Well, the first thing I can think of is uh, I was out uh, standing out in the street and I 
looking up uh, where our gate was, and there were some trees both sides of the road, kind of a, a groove through there where the road was, and I saw a low-flying plane over the sugar cane. You know, it had a big red ball on the side, and the torpedo underneath. It was heading towards Pearl Harbor, so I knew what that was. And we were sort of expecting them, that we knew there was a fleet up in the North Pacific. So we were waiting to see what happened, and so I just ran down to Sergeant the guards of Japture here and went down and notified the people in the huts to get moving. So that was my what initial experience of seeing that one flying across the sugarcane field. That single plane. You just said something interesting that you were, at least on some level, expecting that they would show up. Well, they, they would information out that the Japanese fleet was up in the North Pacific and they for some reason or other we had some inkling that they might be coming into us, our area or Pacific coast, we weren't too sure but we kind of had some estimates that they were up to something so we were sort of on guard expecting something. You had, you had nothing official, this was just... This was just uh, well, I'd call it semi-official. Our uh -huh. bosses knew about it. We knew where they were. Um, we had, you know, we had scouts out, uh, scout planes out. So they had an idea that there was something going on up there. And uh, so we were ready in case something happened. And indeed By it being did. ready, we didn't have much to be ready with. <laughs> and explain that. Well, all we had was our rifles. We didn't have any heavy artillery or anything. Our rifles were our main, a few, a couple of machine guns. That was our main <laughs> defense there. Yeah. We just didn't have Not any. Very much. We didn't have any heavy stuff at the airfield. You know, you don't, you don't have any heavy equipment. So all we had was our rifles and a couple of machine guns. But. Uh, we use them. Use whatever you got. Yes. Now, in the in the aftermath of the attack, immediately after the attack, were any of the planes deployed? Uh, none of ours, no. No. So you you were really fighting with this limited equipment. Yeah. No, they, we did have some P-40s from the army that were up at Schofield Barracks, and a few of the P-40s got off. And they were over our field for a little bit, uh, contesting the Japanese, but uh, none of our planes were up. What were the P-40s able to do? Well, they got a few of them. Uh, we, could, we, could, uh, we saw a couple of them shot down, a couple of Japanese shot down, so mm -hmm. that was exciting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did, they, did they go to the fleet that was in... The North Pacific. Did they what? Did they did they go to the fleet? Did they fly to the fleet to try to do damage oh, no. up there? As far as I know, they didn't. No. They did not. I don't they think they did. They may have, but that would have been the P-40s wouldn't have gone out there. Yes. They were you know shorter, shorter range. Mhm. Mm and um, I don't recall exactly what happened to the Japanese fleet. We know what happened to your fleet. Well, they got shot up there at Pearl Harbor. The 
the uh, battleships and destroyers and everything got shot up pretty bad. Yeah. I have read that many of the ships that were sunk were resurrected, repaired, and put back into service. Is that correct oh, information? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the battleship there was there. It went down and sitting straight up, you know. So yeah. they raised that and repaired it, and away it went. Took a while, but they got the things repaired. Any, wow. and uh, any of the ships that were, were were damaged and weren't beat up too much, they were all repaired and sent back out. It's just amazing to hear you talk about this. Now, I'm I'm, I'm struggling here for some questions about Pearl Harbor per se. How long were you in Pearl Harbor after the attack before you were reassigned? Uh, at uh, at Everfield, you mean? Yes. Uh, I was there until, uh, oh, God, it was, uh, I think, February of the next year, 42. I mm-hmm. went to flight training at Pensacola. Ah, okay. I, I was going to ask you if you had any pilot experience before you went into the Marine Corps? What kind of prior experience? Uh, were you pilot experience? Were you flying? Oh, no, no. As, not I didn't, as have any, didn't have any before I went to flight training. And how long was flight training? Seems to me it was about eight months. Uh, I think I got my wings in October. Do you remember your first solo flight? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. I'm going to cross that one off the list. <laughs> I imagine it's exciting, but I don't remember it. it. I'm sure it was. Now, when you got to Guadalcanal, there were there were other soldiers there. What kind oh, yeah. of... Uh, uh, when I got yeah. there, the uh, operation at Guadalcanal was over. Uh, we used the airfield there to fly up to New Georgia. But the ah, actual battle okay. of the Canal was over. So now, the the other Marines who were there, or the other soldiers who were there, was there anyone on that island besides the Marines? Uh, I believe there was some army there, but I, I wasn't acquainted with them. So of course, with, there was Navy with, personnel. Uh-huh. So there, there were other um, service areas uh, represented there. What kind of camaraderie established when you were fighting together like that? Oh, there's no problem. We, we're all Americans. We got along okay. What, what, did you have any, oh, I don't know how to say this, did, did you have any warmth, any clustering, any dinner together? Did you look forward to talking with each other? Were they friends as well, opposed we didn't. to... Uh, we definitely didn't serve together. We separate areas. Okay. Uh, occasionally you'd have a few, be some people, but uh, in general we didn't serve, you know, right together. We'd have separate camp areas. Okay. Do you remember the first time you took a plane out with a bomb? First time. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> some of these things are are not to be remembered. You can cross them off your list. This, I know, you're supposed amazing. to remember that, but a lot of things I don't remember anymore. <laughs> like my mm. name. <laughs> no, you remember your name. <laughs> you're 
funny. Um, have you ever been to any of the annual commemorations at Pearl Harbor? Uh, yeah, on December 7th. Yes. Yeah, I've been to them. How many did you um, participate in? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I try to go out as often as I can, and I'm going to go out again this year. You are? Uh, and one, one good reason is that uh, Waikiki is out there, you know. <laughs> so uh, we don't just go for the uh, thing there at Pearl. We go out for the going to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> you have... You have some pleasure built into this into the system there, Walton. Question? Yeah. How how would they do? You, when you go in a couple of weeks, John, do you, would you would they have you guy? Would they throw a reception for you the day before, on the December sixth? What would it be like the the normal routine? Would they have all you guys gathered that seven and then? Go oh, generally, generally just for the dinner. Uh huh. Have an evening dinner. That's primarily where we congregate but uh, uh would it be mostly social or would they have you guys speak or would, would oh no we, we just generally stand up and introduce ourselves okay by, you know our name and, okay and that's about it that uh, uh no and then uh we'd be out for the morning we'd be out at pearl right but uh, all together but uh and the dinner other than that we didn't have any group real group affairs how many attended the last one you were there? Gosh, you know, I don't, I don't remember the actual number. Uh-huh. There were quite a few of us that I understand there's going to be a fair-sized group this year. Um, the, yeah, the seven. I think there's, no, but there's only, uh, yeah. I think, two of us from uh, my airfield. Me and, me and one other guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Just two of us left. <laughs> But there's a lot of other, you know, Navy and Army, Air Force people there. But yeah. uh, uh, I forget what, how many is going to be this year. I read somewhere that's going to be a pretty fair group. That's pretty nice. So, so do they, they do they send you guys a letter, like, a, it like an invite? How do they? How oh do they yeah. Organize yeah, they they they, lo- they notify us, and then we send in if we're going to go. We send an RSVP. Uh huh. And how many is going to be there? Like. Uh, my daughter takes goes with me. Okay. And uh, so I put a reservation for two. Okay. And uh, and that's uh, it's a pretty good deal. I bet it is. Get to see everybody. Sure. <laughs> sure. Major, could we go back to the uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, at Pearl Harbor? After the strafing, you were talking about strafing just all over the place. They were shooting. When did the what bombs arrive? What is the strafing? strafing? You were, you were talking about... That's when the airplane comes down real low and shooting. Right. So they come down now, to maybe when, 100 feet. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty... And strafe, uh, shoot up stuff. That's called strafing. Right. Um, after the strafing, what happened? Did the bombs arrive? Did what? Bombs. I just repeat that last sentence. <laughs> after the strafing, um, would, would they drop the bombs after that? What would be a normal? Oh, oh no, that was. Uh, there were two different kinds. There were fighters would come in and do the strafing. Then there were some high bombers that would uh, level flight that would drop a few bombs. Uh, we didn't get much of that. We got 
fight mostly the fighter pilots. Uh, how much? Some of the other how areas. Much, got, how much pardon? time was there between the planes coming in for strafing and the bombers arriving? Well, we didn't. We didn't get the bombers. We just got the fighters coming in, strafing our area. Who got bombers the bombers? Were, bombers were basically at, uh, either at Pearl or I understand they got some at uh, Peckham Field or Schofield. Barry's got a few, but we didn't mm-hmm. get any. You did not. Was anyone hurt in your area? Oh, yeah. We had, uh, I think maybe it was six KIAs and the Maybe, I don't know, I forget how many, 30 wounded or something. I forget the exact number. That's quite a number. Quite a but number. But there was a, I'll say a batch. <laughs> I'll say a batch. <laughs> now, well, I, yeah, I, I, caught, I didn't expect it because everybody was out right on the airfield uh, where, they were getting, where the airplanes were getting strafed and trying to push airplanes away, so they were bound to get hit, you know. Yes. Yes, and you were out there as well. Is that correct? Oh yeah, we were pushing airplanes. And <laughs> how did you push them? How, well, how did? Well, you, they have what you know what chocks are, don't you, under the wheels? Yes, yes, so I you do. Pull the chocks out, untie the ropes, and you push them on the wings. Just push on them. And they get, move. Just mm-hmm. get a bunch of guys on the wings and push. Mm-hmm. Away you go. Interesting. Now, you talked about, when you were on Guadalcanal, you talked about having to occasionally load the bombs by hand. These guys actually lifted the bombs into the bays. Well, they had, uh, they, they'd roll them out on, on uh, uh, I'm trying to think the name of the thing, but it's on wheels. Mm-hmm. And they have a thousand pounder in the middle, and they go out and they, they can just jack the thing up. Because nobody's going to lift those bombs up, thousand pounders. So they just have a, uh, a cargo thing that that the uh, bombs were on. Yes. One bomb for a little wheel deal, uh, trailer thing, and they could take those out and and uh, lift them up from there. But they didn't lift them bodily. They didn't have people who could do that. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that because when I heard it on the video that I watched, I, I clearly misunderstood, and I thought, how do they do that? I thought, you, know, you must have strong men from the, from the circus in there. But I'm, yeah, I'm glad you clarified. Guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad brother. you clarified. Yeah, we, the, the Ringling Brothers, right? Yeah, we got them from Ringling um, Brothers. <laughs> no, they, they weren't from Ringling Brothers. Now, I copied down um, recognition and medals that you were that you received. Of all uh, that you received, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to ask of all that you received, which means the most to you. Well, actually, the distinguished flying cross, I guess, would be the number one. Uh, and then I got got. You know, several air medals. Yes. And uh, that those actually uh, decorations. That's the only decorations I got. I got letter of commendation and stuff like that. But the only decorations were the air medal, the DFC and air medal. Mhm. 
really the quite flock remarkable. Of, the whole flock it, of you know, area ribbons and stuff like that. Yes. Like a total of something like 12, 14, I'm not sure how many. Uh, you know, Southwest and one for Pearl Harbor and Philippines, China, Korea, all that stuff. You, get, you know, you get those little ribbons for each one. Yes. I think I had, I forget how many I had, 12 or 14, something like that. A batch. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the list, and I think 12 or 14 is probably correct. It's a lot. Did you yeah. continue <laughs> flying? Oh, no. Did you? I'm sorry. No, after... After I got out, no, I didn't do any flying. You did not. You did not. Huh? Did I what? That's interesting. Walden? So, so you, huh? decide, you, you that after you, you decided that was it, you didn't want to fly anymore. You were no, I, uh, after I got out, I didn't want to fly anything. It was, you know, it wasn't that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I could hang a bomb on there and go somewhere, that's interesting. <laughs> Oh. oh my gosh! All right, so that leads me to want to know what was the most interesting bombing you participated in? Oh gosh, I would think that it would be the we had a nice uh, shipping run uh, July July of '43 up to Kahili uh, uh, Harbor, and there were several ships in there and destroyers and stuff, and we went in and bombed those, and I think that was. Probably as interesting as it got. Going, you know, going up and dropping a bomb on a supply area is not too exciting. <clears throat> but we had fighter uh, had our fighter cover, and the Japanese came up with quite a few fighters. <clears throat> yes, there were dogfights going on all over. So <clears throat> we got to take care of our job. All we had to do was go in, <clears throat> nose down, drop the bomb, and head home. <clears throat> And the fighter guys took care of the Japanese. Uh-huh. So, How many? Uh, shot at one that didn't hurt him, I don't think. <laughs> when you went out on a bombing mission, how many planes went out with you? Oh, well, it depended on where we were going. Smaller times, you might have, we generally were in groups of six. And then we'd have uh, six, 12, or 18 for small stuff, you know, uh, supporting the troops. And we went on a big deal. We may have as many as 60, and that was a pretty good-sized flight. Well, what would you go after with 60 planes in the air? Usually a shipping a group of ships, and, um, and sometimes if you had a large area where the Japanese were, like up in Bougainville, uh, we could go in there with quite a few, and you'd have different targets in the area. You all wouldn't go on the same target. We'd have different targets, and they'd get up close, and everybody would shear off and go to their own target. How did you know ahead of time what your target was going to be? Well, we had briefings, usually the night before, had the maps and everything else, photo, uh, photographs, and they look at those and decide, you know, they could, you could see what was there, especially an airfield, and yes. buildings around the airfield were visible in the photograph, and you were assigned one, and that's what, what your target was. You didn't pay any attention to anything else. You'd settle in on your target. Attacks? Pardon? Were these surprise attacks? Well, I don't think they were, because uh, around our airfield there were Japanese up in the hills, 
and they had radios, and they would radio up every time a bunch of airplanes took off. Say, here they come. So <laughs> they knew we were coming. Mm. How many were up in the hills? Oh, I don't know, but there were there were different batches up there observing and seeing what was going on. And then one like at Bokenville, after we finally got that well located, to go up on the ridge, which was just the same direction as the runway was. It was just about a mile back off the runway. Later on, they got up there and you find the uh, observation post where the Japanese were. They could just look right down on the runway, see what was going on. Was there so, any effort to take them out? Uh, not until you took the whole area back there. You'd have to take the whole area. Well, we could send people up, but then they'd be outnumbered. So if you send up a scouting group, you know. So yes. they were yes. just they were just up on the hill there. And, and something like strafing would <laughs> strafing was not a consideration up there. Well, our people could strafe them, yeah, but they'd have holes that they get into. A hole in the ground is real good. Yeah. And and replacements, indeed. But, uh, what's what's the most interesting question anyone ever asked you? Oh gosh, <laughs> I don't, I really don't know. Uh, trying to think of something and, and nothing comes to mind. <laughs> um, I hope mine are interesting after we hang up. <laughs> this this is good. At this point in time, nothing much comes to mind. <laughs> oh, you keep saying that. I mean, you, you, you're just so good with your information here. When you gave your presentation, you concentrated a great deal on locations and islands and the assignments that all of you had and what was coming in from the Japanese. What was most yeah. memorable about that? Pardon? What was like most what? memorable about the, the various islands and... Oh, well, uh, I think it was interesting because that was our home. And uh, we, we'd fly out of there and come back to that place, and we were actually coming home. <laughs> you were coming home. How long were and you we, assigned that was there? Our, wherever we were based, that was our home. and So we, we'd go out and run and come back. We are always referred to it as coming home. Coming home. Coming home. How long were you at Guadalcanal? Oh, gosh, I wasn't there. To, uh, uh, I don't think I was there just a few months. And uh, we rotated from there back to Espirito Santo, which was, what, 600 miles south. And that mm -hmm. was our home base for all the squadrons in that area. And we would rotate squadrons back and forth about six weeks at a time. And uh, so we'd stay in an area like a Canal for six weeks and go up. Our next trip would be probably at Bokenville. We'd stay there for six weeks or so, then come back, and some other squatter would fly there for six weeks, and they'd get replaced. <clears throat> and we'd, we'd just rotate that way so you wouldn't stay in that combat zone all the time. Why was that? When? Why? 1943, 44. Uh -huh. Now, why why were you rotated every six weeks? Generally about every six weeks, yeah. 
Why did they do that? Well, otherwise you'd stay in there forever yeah. and it get kind of tiresome. So there was enough squadrons there, they just uh, rotate. And, uh, so you, you, you got a fresh you go back rotation. You go back so-called rest area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, How long were you at the rest area? Uh, generally another, it depends on six or 12 weeks, depending on how many airplanes they had and how many people. Usually 12 weeks. It, we had the, probably three squadrons rotating. So you'd be in six weeks and out 12. You said a little while ago about your particular plane came back with holes, and some of the holes even had holes. <laughs> <laughs> when it, when your plane needed repairs, what happened? Well, it was repaired? It's yes. quiet again. Oh, how did the repairs happen? Uh, well, we had, we had uh, metalsmiths in the squadron. Uh, their job was filling up holes, and we had different kinds. We had guys that were uh, worked on the airplanes, you know, and took care of them and refueled and all that stuff. Then we had other mm-hmm. guys who were metalsmiths, and their job was was repairing. So we bring them in, and, uh, they'd repair them and get them fixed if they were if they were repairable. Some weren't, and you had a you know if you had a two foot hole in the wing, it was in a spot that was not uh, repairable. Why you wouldn't use that one again? But if it was repairable, it was just regular holes. Metalsmith would fill them up and get them riveted up, and then they get back on the flight line and start flying again. Major, how could a pilot fly a plane with a huge hole in the wing? Oh, it's not too bad. It, it, uh, wasn't, if it wasn't too bad where it affected the lift, you just fly it along. It flew just as good. With a big hole in it, no hole. <laughs> just just you might have keep to going. Little, you might have to use a little left stick or right stick because you wouldn't get as much lift, but it, it'd fly all right. This is just amazing. I'd like to go back to the men you were with when you said uh, perhaps up to 50% of them contracted malaria. What happened to them after they got sick? Uh, lay around during the day and wait for it to go away. Usually stay throughout the day. I think, as I recall, they usually stay in a dark place, you know, uh, Keep your tent flap down or something. Try to keep the light out. It seemed to affect their eyes somewhat. Give them a headache. You know. Try to stay in a dark spot. Other than that, they do that. Take their medication until till it was over with. None of them were evacuated. Oh, no, not that I know of. Might have been a few real bad cases, but most of them were. They were just stayed there and took their medication and got over it. There were a few bad cases. Yes. Yes. This is amazing. Walden, do you have questions? No, I'm, I'm good, Patricia. Maybe we want to thank the Major, and uh, we really want to thank you for doing this, Major John A. Hughes. Yeah, you, well, you're very kind to give it the time to. Well, you're most welcome. We really appreciate Very gracious. It. We're very appreciative of your, of your service to the country. So thank, thank you. Thank you, John. Well, thank you. You bet. Thank you. Good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Winum Equalizer, JAWS Professional. Alt-Tab 12-111. Fred Allen-N, Naval Aviation Combat and Unloading JAW. Can't OK Enter. 12- Today's speaker is Major John Hughes. Uh, Major John Hughes started out as an aviation mechanic. Uh, he then got orders, I better not give his story away, got orders to report to Pensacola and became a naval a, a aviator. He told me they're aviation pilot, I think is a correct term. So without further ado, allow me to get him all set up and we'll be ready for his presentation. Well, I'll start off, uh, World War II for Marine Aviation began December 7, 1941 at 0753 with a Japanese air attack on Everfield, Oahu. The attack was effective. Of the 48 aircraft we had there, there were uh, 33 were destroyed, 14 damaged, and one was not damaged. It was down at Fort Island for repair. Subsequent to that, Everfield was the hub for marine aviation in the Pacific, central, southern, and western. The commander, Marine Aircraft Pacific, was based there. And I'll just tell you about the Southwest Pacific, Solomon Islands, and New Britain. The South Pacific action began at Guadalcanal in August of 1942. And prior to that time, there were aircraft and personnel being accumulated in a few outlanding spots down there, uh, Caledonia, uh, Fiji, uh, Samoa. And then the landing was on, on Guadalcanal was on August 7, 1942. The airfield was in disrepair and some needed some work. And by August, uh, the CBs came in. By August 20th, the airfield was repaired and 19 F4Fs and 12 SBDs came in from the carrier Long Island. So that started the deal up. And they arrived just in time for the first blood-curdling battle. The first division fought on Guadalcanal and that was the Battle of Teneru River. At midnight, 20th and 21st, there were continuous firing going on. And there were 900 troops of the, the Chiki, I don't know if these things, pronunciation just right, the Chiki detachment attacked, and they were slaughtered. The cleanup lasted until the next day, and uh, <clears throat> 225 pilots, uh, VMF-223, fired their first shots in anger <clears throat> and performed strafing attacks on the beach from where the attack was coming in. 19 hours after their arrival, <clears throat> they had their first taste of air combat after shooting down one zero. But one fighter was shot up and crashed on the field and two other required repair, which took eight to 10 days. <clears throat> at at Rabaul, which was the main air base for the Japanese at that time <clears throat> was forming up atta an attack of 800 naval landing deal, which they called their Marines, <clears throat> and an army detachment of 700 to dislodge the forces at Guadalcanal. It was to be supported by a combined fleet, <clears throat> including three carriers, three battleships. <clears throat> now, Admiral Fletcher, who was the boss out there, had information on the movement. And he had the, was going to hit it with the Enterprise and the Wasp, the two carriers. 
But he was off, off to southeast about 100 miles. The Battle of the Solomons <clears throat> marked the Marine Flyer's participation <clears throat> in the first four of major naval battles, which would be in the next three months. <clears throat> so that was, uh, that was their big start. And uh, <clears throat> the first, mar marial, first aerial combat took place in the afternoon of August the 24th, 1942. <clears throat> they, were, they intercepted a raid by 15 bombers and 12 fighters from the carrier Ryujo. The Marines shot down 16, including half of the Zeros. Three of our pilots did not return. Another was shot down and survived. But they, uh, they gained seven SPDs in the encounter. The Enterprise had three bomb hits, and this one outfit couldn't land, so they came into Guadalcanal, and then they stayed there until September 27th and helped the Marines. In the naval battle, the Saratoga's bombers sank the Ryujo, and 90 aircraft went down to Navy and Marine fighters, so it was a pretty good-sized battle going on out there. But despite the losses, Admiral Tanaka continued toward Guadalcanal, and uh, on the 25th, dive bombers from Henderson Field found his ships, flagship cruiser uh, Jinsu, eight destroyers and transports. And uh, it was uh, the MSB-252 dropped a bomb on the cruiser just forward of the bridge, damaging it. And Tanaka, which was his ship, transferred to a destroyer. And it, Pilot from Enterprise dropped a bomb on the, on the transport to Mar uh, Kinru, burned furiously, had to be sunk. Another, one, uh, another destroyer was picking up survivors and in turn got hit by a B-17 and it was sunk. Another destroyer was damaged. The next day, the Japanese returned with 16 twin-engine bombers escorted by bombers, uh, by fighters, and dropped about 50 bombs. Uh, aviation gasoline was set on fire. A few bombs, a thousand pound bombs were exploded. And our park aircraft were hit, uh, hit by fragmentation stuff and had to be repaired that way. Uh, 12 Marine fighters missed the incoming Raiders but caught them on the way out and shot down 13. On the 28th, General Hayataki's uh, 17th Army was sent down with 3,500 troops to reinforce the Japanese garrison there. Two scouting SPDs found the destroyer transports coming down the slot in the afternoon. Didn't hit anything. Eleven more uh, SPDs heard the uh, contact report and went out and joined in. Uh, they, they blew up a destroyer. Uh, a superstructure on another ship was set on fire. And another one was, uh, Shirakuma was stopped but left afloat. And the remaining destroyer towed it back into the shortlands. Uh, the pilots on VMF-223 were doing pretty well. On the 29th, they destroyed four bombers, four fighters. On the 30th, the count, they 14 aircraft. On the Army 67th Fighter Squadron, which had been augmented uh, by four P-400s, which were uh, uh, Air Cobras, they were odd-type looking airplane. Uh, they, they brought down four of them and lost four of their own airplanes. Uh, two of their pilots walked back. But uh, <clears throat> this happened quite a bit. Uh, people would be shot down locally and they'd either be in the water and uh, be picked up or some of them that were on the land walked back. Uh, there's uh, 
all jungle there. They couldn't, uh, couldn't find them anywhere unless they were on the beach. So they ended up hiking in. And uh, <clears throat> there's quite a whole bunch of anti-handicaps on that place there. Uh, they struggled for nearly six months on this place. Henderson Field was a, just a ball of dirt, uh, followed up the engines. And then when the rains came, it was just a big quagmire of mud, so, which made uh, taking off difficult. And then they had, the SPDs had operational difficulties. For a couple of weeks, they didn't have any bomb hoist, so you had these 500-pound bombs had to be handled in by hand and lifted up the bomb racks by hand. So that was tough. And they weren't equipped with the pneumatic tires. They had these hard rubber tires for the carriers, and that those tires there chewed up the runway, the dirt runway. So they had all kinds of problems. Refueling was a problem. They operated on a 50-gallon tank, so all the stuff had to be pumped in by hand. And later when they got trucks, all these 50-gallon tanks had to be hand-pumped into the trucks. So it was just a, a little bit of difficult living there. And the first pilots soon found out that they weren't supposed to tangle with the Zero. Uh, Zero was just a lot more maneuverable and a better airplane than what the F-4F was. And uh, so their primary targets were the bombers, which usually came over about 26 at a time. And uh, what they would do would come in from the side, make a run on the bombers, maybe get a shot at a Zero and then haul out of there, dive out of there because they could dive better than Zero. But if they stayed around, they'd get shot up. And uh, this developed into a two-plane deal where two planes would be together. If one plane got a zero on him tail, the other one had an opportunity to shoot him off. And that uh, two-plane section lasted all the way through the war. It was a, it was a, good, uh, a good method of flying. Uh, living wasn't too good. They had uh, lived on dehydrated potatoes. You guys are probably acquainted with that. Spam and cold hash, sleeping on a mud-floored tent, not for these mosquitoes all over the place. Uh, Louis the Louse and uh, uh, Washington machine, machine Charlie would come in at night, uh, drop small stuff just to harass the troops and keep them awake. And uh, the Japanese, uh, uh, you know, small drums, and then destroyers and submarines would come in, lob in shells too, and harass the troops. And uh, they'd get the occasional bath in the Lunga River. Uh, which was uh, about the only way you could take a bath around there. And if you didn't get malaria from the masses of Anopheles mosquitoes, you ended up with, a, with uh, dysentery, and a lot of people got both. And uh, I know there was a lot of malaria going on because the one squadron I joined out there, uh, over half the pilots were suffering from malaria, uh, which I think a lot of you guys are acquainted with. You get the chills and everything. and. Uh, on August 30th, the uh, first sizable reinforcements arrived in the middle of an air raid. As Colonel Wallace, a group commander, came in with some F-4Fs and SPDs, and uh, also this brought the count up to 86 pilots and 64 planes, of which three Army and 10 Navy. And uh, then on the, uh, September 30th, uh, the commanding general of the 1st Marine Air Wing, General Geiger, came in, and he also brought some good news. The, uh, uh, there was a Marine Air Group 14, two combat squadrons and a service squadron, which was 
really necessary out there to help, help maintain the aircraft. And they had over 100 officers and over 1,000 men. They were coming in from the West Coast. And uh, we also then set up a headquarters down at Espiritu Santo, which is a couple hundred miles south of Solomon's. And he stayed there as Commander Cactus. Uh, Commander Cactus. Cactus was the code word name for Guadalcanal. And he set up his headquarters right off the, off the runway. And uh, due to a local accident, by September the 10th, the aircraft was down to number 36, down from 34 on August the 30th. And then uh, on, the 20, on the 11th, there was some 24 F4Fs came in from the Saratoga, which had been torpedoed, and the guy had been up, uh, flying around, so didn't have a place to go, so he came into Guadalcanal and brought in some aircraft. And um, by 17 October, they had 63 operational aircraft. These were fighters, bombers, torpedo, they haven't had torpedo planes yet, but just a massive, oddball stuff. Uh, 34 TBFs, 16 SPDs, 5 T well, TBFs, and 3 P-400s, which was a was Army aircraft that had come in. Uh, P-400 wasn't much good for altitude, so they stayed low doing stuff. And uh, the just to show you what happened, the flight was, the number of flight was 49 two days later, and then by October 7th, it was back up to 61. They made shoot down a few of them, they'd feed in some airplanes from outlying fields there, and the few kind of build it up a little bit. But there was just a nip and tuck situation all the way. And, uh, and uh, fueling was down, uh, sometimes down to two days fuel. So that was a, not an enjoyable thing either. And uh, then on the October 14th, two cruisers came in and threw a, several hundred eight-inch shells <laughs> into Henderson Field in the surrounding area. Well, 800, like several, several hundred eight-inch shells, uh, it's not an enjoyable thing to uh, sit around for. And then when daylight came, there was Japanese ships 10 miles off of Tassaronga unloading troops and supplies uh, right in daylight. They weren't worried about a thing. There were only three airplanes, SPDs, able to fly. One of those hit a bombshell, a uh, shell hole, and flipped. And another one on takeoff hit a shell hole, but the runway was full of holes. He hit one and flipped. And, and uh, so he went back and got, pilot went back and got the other one. He finally got off in one airplane. Not much doing good. But uh, they were working on a bunch of them. The mechanics there were working like mad. By, by noon, they had uh, 12 SPDs ready, loaded with 500 and 1,000 pound bombs. And then they dropped those on the enemy chips and then strafed, strafed them also. And then uh, the... Uh, B-17s also sank one. And Jack Cram, Major Jack Cram, had come in the uh, night before with a, B, a PBY-5A, a patrol plane. And he had two torpedoes on underneath it. So he went out there and uh, disposed of those on the enemy also. Uh, you figure a PBY-5A making a, a torpedo run, you know. <laughs> That's the best thing in the world. And uh, when he was going back home, it, a bunch of uh, zeros jumped on him. They kept perforating until he finally got home. Uh, there was one left, and a fighter got that one plane that was left, and he was smoking at the time when he finally landed. But uh, that was an event for him also. But 
I, I just picture a PBY <laughs> making a torpedo run. <laughs> and uh, MAG-23, which was at Marine Air Group, 23, which was there at the time, was relieved by MAG-14 early in October. Uh, between August 20 and October 16, Marine Air Group 23 and the attached units uh, claimed 244 Japanese shot down. And uh, both of them, they had uh, uh, the, the bombers, were, there were some bombers attached to them. They claimed to have hit 28 ships, uh, six were seen to sink and four believed to have sunk. And uh, MAG-23 lost 23, 22 of its own pilots and 33 of the attached pilots, uh, Army and Navy units. Uh, but the, uh, the new pilots uh, who uh, operating under conditions which it seemed hopeless with this Zero, which happened to be a doggone good airplane, uh, superior to our planes in many respects, but this Marine Air Group 23 had done a pretty good job. Then on October 16th, Admiral Gormley got word of a big naval concentration at uh, Santa Cruz Islands, which was including a carrier. And he, he thought this appeared to be a big deal coming in to kind of wipe out the marine deals at Guadalcanal. So he requested a lot of aviation enforcements. And uh, on October 11th, this big outfit sailed from truck. Admiral, Admiral Yamamoto, who you probably are acquainted with the name, he had available five carriers, four battleships, 14 cruisers, 44 destroyers, but he didn't commit these all at once in one place. But uh, in the meantime, Henderson Fields was getting their regular bombing coming in from Rabaul and Kahili airship. And uh, let's see, what they had, uh, they ended up with a uh, flight of eight fighters intercepted a raid and shot down nine planes. Next day, five pilots including Navy pilots, shot down seven bombers and 13 zeros. On the 19th of October, two of six zeros were shot. <laughs> so this kept coming in, and, uh, and then on, on the 20th, they got seven zeros and three bombers, but this was a continuing thing. These small flights had come in, they'd go up and get them and shoot them down with a few losses of their own. Now this, uh, General Hayataku, his deal, they had a big deal to come in. I think they called it uh, I, Operation I or something. They had a batch coming in on a beach, uh, Matanico River from the south, a big batch coming in from the south, which was uh, uh, nine infantry battalions, artillery, engineers, and medical troops. That's a pretty good-sized batch of people. Then they had another batch up to the north was going to come down. And this was going to be a big deal, uh, come in from all sides, and, and also this Navy group was going to come in and battle the heck out of them, and they were going to take back that, that uh, position. And, uh, but it didn't work out. It happened to be a bunch of uh, mail, 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 rain came in. Everything got real soggy, and his main force up there with all his artillery and stuff was hung up. In the meantime, this batch down at Botanico River, uh, the Marine artillery went in there and beat the heck out of them, killing 600, about 1,000 wounded, kind of put them out of commission. 
This other big outfit was hung up in the mud and stuff. So they were delayed four days. In the meantime, the fleet's up there waiting to come in, burning up gasoline, fuel. And uh, finally they came in, and then it ended up uh, that the big, big uh, uh, battle there that the, the lake ended up uh, I'm trying to get my seat here. And, uh, and then his big group, after they got beat up also, uh, Marines dive bombers are coming in and beating them, artillery hitting on them. They ended up in not being able to get anywhere, so they finally pulled out. And then by October 28th, it was evident that the enemy was defeated at just about every point. And uh, they'd been beaten back by uh, Marines. Estimates were 3,400 Japanese killed, of course, hundreds wounded, and then they ended up in the retreat. And uh, they had, uh, in the meantime, they, uh, uh, they'd sent down some more aircraft, and a uh, two Marine squadron shot down 20 Zeros and four bombers. And there was a four-day slack during this rain period. And uh, they, the Grubbins uh, were still going up and getting on them. And uh, on, I can't see what day was this, but anyway, the 16 heavy bombers came down, escorted by Zeros. And uh, the field had dried up and up to where the fighters could get off. And uh, they shot down. 22 planes again uh, by the fighter planes, and the shore-based aircraft got four airplanes which were coming in strafing. So that wasn't a bad day. And uh, the second fleet, Admiral Kondo, and the third fleet, the Gomu, had been waiting up in the northeast since the 22nd for the ground forces to do their thing, which they'd been hung up on. And uh, they had four carriers, four battleships, eight cruisers, 28 destroyers, four Orioles and three cargo ships. And they were waiting to, for the attack to come in and they were going to pull in and finish it off. This was supposed to be when, when the uh, ending up with the uh, Marines uh, uh, surrendering. But anyway, the United States Navy came down, the fleet that was sitting off of there. They met on October 16th or 26th. And the U.S. fleet was the Hornet Enterprise the battleship South Dakota, two cruisers, and eight destroyers. And that was the uh, Battle of Santa Cruz. Well, we didn't do too well. The Hornet was sunk, the destroyer Porter was sunk, the Enterprise was damaged by two bombs, the battleship South Dakota and cruiser San Juan each got hit by a bomb, and the destroyer Smith was hit by a kamikaze. The Japanese lost only one ship, the Euro. And that was not, and it was not involved in the uh, battle. Uh, the Shokoku got hit by 1,000-pound bombs and two more on the elevator, and the small carrier was lightly damaged, which left, of course, that then this meant that the admirals could not furnish carrier support for the next big effort, uh, which was in November. The plane losses in this big battle were about equal. U.S. 74 lost uh, United States, Japanese lost 69. So that was another 
see if there was, you got uh, about 140 planes there. That was a pretty good battle going on. <clears throat> Again, the airfield was shorter planes, down to 30 airplanes by that time, uh, 12 fighters, 11 dive bombers, uh, and then uh, uh, six more army uh, fighters. And uh, in the meantime, the uh, Marines are uh, bombing this uh, Ayutaki's retreating forces uh, from the big battle. And the, this uh, short period there left the Mech some time to uh, repair some of the uh, airplanes that were on, on the airfield and shot up. And this was a continuing deal. These guys did a real good job. They were working 24 hours a day and sometimes patching stuff up and then airplanes that were damaged too much taking parts off of them to replace the ones that were not too bad off and were repairable. So this was a, they did a great job on that. And uh, uh, Marine Air Group 11 arrived with four squadrons on 30 October, began feeding, they were down south of Caledonia, and they started feeding planes in. And uh, let's see, they, uh, it was October 30th. Uh, and uh, planes from uh, VMFB 132 Bombing Squadron began their operations on November 1st. Um, and then nine, nine fighter pilots came in on the 2nd. So the flight personnel were picking up on this deal. And uh, then some more flight personnel came in from another squadron. They flew there, came in with their own deal. And then, uh, and then of course the VMSB 131, which came in, this was a, had been a dive bomber squadron with SBDs, and they were the first ones to get the uh, torpedo squadron. So they were a converted deal, and they came in with the new uh, TBFs. And they had uh, a lot of training. They got 22 days training at EVA before they came on down there. So they were in good shape. So by that time, November, there were 750, 1,750 men, aviation units, uh, on Guadalcanal, so that was less than 2,000, not a big batch. Uh, then they had some signs of progress. A new fighter strip went in. They had only had the one strip there at the time, but uh, three days of CBs were in there, of course. These are the uh, greatest guys in the world. Uh, they had a fighter strip built in three days. Had to get the vegetation off, fill up bomb holes and stuff, and get it leveled off. So uh, th that was a good job, having a second strip then. <clears throat> uh, and the uh, transport group, which was down at New Caledonia, uh, they were joined by a couple of Army outfits and joined into an outfit which was called South Pacific Combat Air Transport Command, or SCAT, S-C-A-T, which they operate under. Um, And they, they hauled everything, uh, anything from torpedoes. Their big deal was hauling casualties out uh, from Guadalcanal, which was uh, the first uh, major effort in aircraft evacuating uh, personnel uh, on a large scale, which was a big thing. Uh, the Battle of Guadalcanal began on November 13th. The radar picked up a Japanese force coming in, uh, battleship Hai. Uh, Karashima, one light cruiser, 14 destroyers. Admiral Callahan had 
only five cruisers and eight destroyers. So he went up in between them, ended up in a battleship cruiser deal there. 24 minutes it was over. San Francisco was heavily damaged. Admiral Callahan and most of his staff were killed. The Portland had been crippled. The Atlanta flying Admiral Norman Scott's flag was hit. He was killed. The Atlanta lipped away, but sank early that evening. Four destroyers were sunk and three damaged. The next morning, uh, torpedo sunk the uh, cruiser Juno. 700 of our crew, all but 10, were lost. So that was a bad. And I think uh, uh, we, we didn't do too well on that one. The Japanese only had two destroyers sunk. But uh, the battleship Haiyai had been hit 85 times and had lost control of her steering gear. When daylight came, it was there. And this was a good time then for the SPDs on the Henderson Field to get hit. So they got, got on it. And then both the SPDs and torpedo planes kept hitting this thing all day. And they finally, they didn't sink it, but finally the Japanese, it was so badly met that the Japanese uh, uh, scuttled it. <clears throat> so that, that was one big deal. Uh, oh, by November 20th, since the aircraft had increased, they had 101 airplanes by that time. Uh, eight torpedo planes. Uh, quite a few, uh, by that time the Corsairs could come in, and 24 dive bombers, and, uh, and pretty soon some more aircraft came in, fighters came in. Soon the naval battle of Guadalcanal, after the battle, B-17s came in also, at another airstrip. And they were based there for long-range reconnaissance. And, uh, and this one squadron VMS B-141 flight echelon, which had been there all the time, they left they had lost 32 pilots and 15 gunners, which was about 15, 50%. Well, this started off a good deal. From there, they went up to New Georgia, cleaned that out. From there, went up to Bougainville, and that made the big deal, which cleaned out New Britain. And that took care of the Solomon Islands. And, uh, but the big deal was that six months there at, at Guadalcanal getting based, and from then on, our forces were had things under control, and that's the story on Solomon Islands. <laughs> oh, oh, ah, there's uh, four terrific people here. Uh, this was uh, this was taken at uh, Munda Field, New Georgia. It's four, what we call the officers are naval aviator pilots, and enlisted pilots are naval aviation pilots. Well, that's the four of us. I think we were all tech sergeants at the time, all four dive bomber pilots. Uh, really a handsome group. I'm the one on the right. <laughs> Thank you, John.
Jaws Professional 12-10-Alt-F4. Alt-Tab 1. Naval Jaws updates of Alt-Tab. Sound Forge Pro 11. Point. 